So good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good night, whenever this is. This is Bailey, Machu Bailey. I have to do this four more times, so bear with me. Uh, alongside Medina, Ricardo Medina. Hello, hello, hello. Lilford, CC Lilford. <laughs> Oscura, Alice Oscura. Hi guys. And one more. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll just do it this side because you know it, it's it's kind of dumb in retrospect doing this, right? But anyway, and Hutchins, Tracy Hutchins. Yes, and I want to to die. Ha ha ha! I love that reference there. And this is another episode of BBB Radio. And yeah, from from you know that little joke, that crappy little joke that I just um you know did there. Uh, basically, today's episode is going to be a special one, right? Um, we're gonna have the first part, well, f- first of the two part, you know, series basically, uh, dedicated to the man, the myth, the legend himself, Bond, James Bond. Because for the simple reason that uh, No Time to Die is is finally. I should say technically out in the United States and where, as in, in Trinidad, uh, you know, where we're going to get that in a couple of these time, anytime, um, you know, anytime it's recording here. Yeah, where we're actually going to get this uh, on the Wednesday the 13th, well, from Wednesday the 13th of this month here. So I am overjoyed. Um, this is one of my most highly anticipated films of the year and I'm somewhat excited to see it, man. I, 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 Really, I'm I'm hoping that um, well, I mean, for one thing, just to, just to get this out of the way, I hope that it breaks the um, I hope that it breaks the the final Bond film curse, basically, right? Which is you know excluding um, Timothy Dalton and uh, George Lazenby. Um, usually, the final outings of you know Bond actors aren't good. They just aren't good at all. You know. So, you know, we decided just hoping that at least this movie here breaks that curse, man. Because, um, you know, it just kind of sucks when you have, you know, these these talented actors come in, do their thing, and then they just get one final film and it's just not good, you know? <laughs> so, that's what I hope, man. Um, so, yeah, what we're going to be doing basically in this first part here is that we're going to focus on uh, the OG Bond films, right? So, that those are the films that came before Daniel Craig's, you know, um, films, right? So, that would be the films of Sean Connery, uh, Roger Moore, uh, and um, I should say P.S. Bronson, right? And we're also going to do like a special acknowledgement of, you know, the George Lazenby and Timothy Dalton films as well. Because, yeah, I mean, those films have to be, you know, have to be admired and appreciated as well too as part of, you know, as part of the franchise itself, right? We're also going to do uh, our list, just individual list of favorite um, Bond teams, right? Uh, up until, you know, uh, the Boston uh, films as well, right? So, you know, that's something you can look forward to. But first, uh, we had to talk about a little DC man um, because much to our surprise uh, because I was on the impression that we were going to get this movie um this week, actually, times recording here because in about a few days' time, uh, we're gonna have you know DC Fandom. But um, the powers that be at you know um, Warner Brothers Animation decide, uh, screw that, let me just drop Injustice on us, right? So yeah, we 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 got Injustice, right? The movie. Um, this is a well, you know, the newest film in the um, in the you know DC animated universe series. Um, I should say DC Universe animated original movies, basically, right? So, yeah, it, it, it's kind of weird, you know what I mean? Because, like, different lineups and whatnot, right? But, yeah, um, this one, you know what I mean? The, the, the hype fit was, was real. This is another rated R film from, you know, um, from that um, movie line. Um, and, you know, it's based off of both the, 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 the highly popular video game of the same name 
and the, the comics, which um, I still have not, haven't even gotten around to, to reading. I was supposed to um, when the games were out, but, you know, just time and priorities just got in the way. So, yeah, um, it, it dropped. I, I honestly thought we were going to get this, you know what I mean, um, on the weekend of Fandom, but no, we, we, oh, I should say, sorry, um, before it comes out officially on home media um, the following week. But no, we, we, we actually got So, you know, uh, with the exception of CC, uh, you know, we, we checked it out. Um, so, Ricardo, if you don't mind, just want to fill us in on what um, Injustice is about. Okay, sure. Um, so, in a parallel universe, uh, the Joker is up to some shenanigans and we're not sure what it is. And then we find out that he kidnapped Lois Lane. And, well, meanwhile, Lois Lane is pregnant with Superman's baby. Uh, and he kidnaps Lois Lane and basically tricks Clark into accidentally killing Lois Lane with some scarecrow gas and you know you know thinking basically tricking him into thinking he's doomsday with some scarecrow gas that was laced with kryptonite so it worked on him and that basically oh by the way it was for some reason connected to um joker with his extra extra malice connected to a nuke that was in metropolis so he also nukes metropolis and that basically trips superman off so superman just says well yeah enough of this bullshit Time to be authoritarian and make sure nothing like this ever happens again. Um, he murders the Joker, and that's where the story builds from there. And basically, people in the Justice League have to pick sides or the other. Do they agree with Superman or not with his attitude about whether or not he should maintain this or that? And it's basically the whole justice versus vengeance argument, and it plays out like that, effectively. And that's the beginning of the story, and that's the premise, yeah. Right. All right, well, you know, um, if you don't mind, Ricardo, again, um, yeah, well, what were your thoughts on Injustice, man? Right, um, I was never the biggest fan of the game premise, nor the the comic that kind of it builds from. Um, I'll say, here's one of the things, so I, here's the thing, I'll say it's one of those things that kind of came too late, but for a whole generation of people who like it, they think it's, it's a great, like, evil Superman storyline. I always thought it was just kind of clumsy. Personally, I, I was thought the DCAU version of this with the injustice with the sorry with the Justice Lords did this premise so much better in my opinion. But the impetus for this is a lot better in terms of why Superman would chop off. Uh that's pretty much it. It's an evil Superman storyline by justifying well would Superman go rogue for something like this? Yes, no, maybe. And then the core principle is right, well then we should accept this as it is. Uh as all things go in terms of condensing the story. It's not half bad. I thought this was okay. Once you accept this working premise and you, you like the injustice versions of this, because basically they had to do just well a better, smarter version of Civil War, right? In 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 the DC universe, the DC people never did a good job with it, um, with, with their material. Um, Batman vs Superman is a disaster in my opinion. Um, but yeah, this this just basically played it out reasonably well. Still don't love it, love it, but still fine. I, I didn't have any major issues with it. So yeah, it was okay. Yeah, well, I, I agree with you uh, for the most part, right? Um, if if I do have one major gripe with this, and I, I, I honestly think that um, even with, with um, you know, previous films that weren't based off of, like, say, you know, full graphic novels or omnibuses, right? Um, case in point, because this one is actually based on the year one um, collection yeah. of the comics, right? Um, it, it does have a, a very, very, like, irregularly fast pace, though. And you could tell, yeah. like, they're just trying to condense the story down into roughly, like, what, 75 minutes, right? Including right. credits, right? And, you know, while I was watching this, I couldn't help but think, like, okay, like, maybe 
the animation studio, like maybe the boss came to them and say, okay, here's what. I just throws like a bunch of comics in front of them and say, here's what, right? We're going to take all this and we're just going to, you know, condense all this down into 75 minutes. And if you don't do it, you're going to lose your jobs, right? So I just feel like everything just has to be so calculated now, right down to dialogue, what's being said, actions, everything, because it's like telling us, because yeah, I mean, you have to tell the story very quick now. But I felt like it was to the detriment of this show here, man. I felt that they could have just sort of, um, you know, just kind of relax, just kind of set a little bit, have the scenes just develop just a little bit more, just like about a few minutes each or whatnot, right? Not right. saying dragging the whole story up, but I mean, you're giving these people like, what, 78 minutes total to work on this film, to, yeah. you know, for the film now. And all we could have gotten was just like, what, an hour and a half tops, you know what I mean? Yeah. I actually was quite surprised that this didn't get apart one and two. Um, yeah, you know. it should have. It should have. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because it's one of those things you have to kind of pace out. And the, yeah. again, the problem is the whole with the whole rogue Superman premise is that again you have to accept whether or not Clark would have a meltdown. Because basically, the one thing that Batman was trying to be right about, he was wrong about with Clark. In okay, so it, again, my my version of this I actually like the most is uh, the DCAU version with, with the Justice Lords. In my opinion, it's one of the best episodes of the Justice League, and it, it follows through reasonably well. Um, in Justice League Unlimited with the Cadmus arc. And I thought that was a lot smarter and nuanced ultimately, um, to be to be to be honest. Um I was never that but with this now, it doesn't really answer any it doesn't bring up any interesting questions. It's just, oh, we just have to fight and kick Superman ass. And that's pretty much it. They don't really get into any core arguments and even the games never really did a good job with that, right? Especially the second game. Um okay. yeah, so I don't know. I it just even even when the conceit was great, it I didn't I didn't love it for what it was. So and yeah, that, that's just my last take on it. I, it's good, it's fine if you enjoyed it. There's one moment that I thought was legit clever. Um, all it, it, all I'll say it's involving the atom. I thought that was very very clever. Yes, yeah, yes, that that's uh, about. Yeah. But mm. nothing else was really mind blowing. You know, in terms of the resolution or the core conceit. If if this is getting a sequel or a part two, then all right, fine. I could I could see them doing something with it. If they're going to have like future DC stories. Um, building from this, then all right, I could kind of excuse White is they're gonna like do something like much like how the DCU, sorry, the, the DC animated movie universe or something along those lines was like that, where they, they set up a bunch of stories, but the purpose of it was just to set up future movies in that universe. Then all right, I could kind of understand why they, why they may or may not want to do it as it is, but yeah, as a final, <coughs> as a given product. I was just pretty underwhelmed, but you know it was serviceable. I didn't hate it, but I didn't love it either. It's, it's fine. It's like whatever. Right, right. Yeah. Well, well, for me now, um, no, no, right, Tracy and and um, and Alice, we're gonna we're gonna get to you guys, right? Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. So, 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 despite despite um, you know the the, the rushed um, piece of it, right? Well, or should I mention one last thing, right? Um, before I get to the good, um, you know, and because of the piece, now it I felt like it just kind of undermined um Superman's story or his growth in this in this film now, because you know, like just the decisions he makes. I mean, they're so they're so integral now to what's going on now, and you know, like I would say. It feels logical, you know. I mean, the decisions that he makes, even though they may come off a little outlandish, like case in point, his incorporation of a certain person's um, tech. That's all I'll say. Right. But um, I, I just felt like, you know, if we just got a few more minutes, you know, between scenes that just to flesh things out, right. then we could really like feel, oh, this is why Superman would do this. This is why Batman would do this. This is why these calls were made. Because right. 
well, let's just just uh, finish up here. Cause I just felt like, all right, I'm seeing these things happen, and they somewhat feel like, okay, this this could happen, this could happen, this could happen, but it just moves so quickly, so you don't even get enough time to think. Well, you know, maybe <laughs> what if there was another way out of this? Uh, it just moves quickly. And this one moment, do before this before we get to you, um, Ricardo, quickly, um, that threw me completely off on a loop. Do it involves um one of Batman's peers, that's all I'll see. That right. that caught me completely by surprise. I was wondering if this was um if this was written for the film or or, or if this was in the books. And I, apparently it's in the books now. But yeah, yeah. It just and feels also, so quick and just so out of place. And I'm just like right. All right. I, 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 I think I know I think I know what you're talking about and I would have cut it out right in the story. Because it's agreed, it's super, agreed. It's super clumsy and it's a really like yeah. it's a really like do a sex marketer plot device kind of thing. Um but whatever it's fine again does it get into the core arguments about you know Superman's nature and, and his relationship to power? Because let's be clear, you know, if Superman shows up on Earth and he is really responsible again to these arguments, yeah, he would be kind of a, a at best a benign dictator, right? That, that's the idea. The, the games address this, but because the games had so much time to flesh it out, they only had one good scene that kind of flushes it out. And there's a great scene involving chess with him and Mr. Terrific. Great yes, scene. Love that. Like, yeah. That that I thought they, they handled reasonably well. But everything else was like, oh, okay. You know, we just need to fight and fight and fight and that that and you move on. And so I was, I was, I was just okay. I wasn't, really, and I felt a lot of these arguments Batman should have been having, and it wasn't really that. Batman was having an arc, and it wasn't really like core to anything. Like Batman was kind of arbitrary in this. I felt as well. He's supposed to be the, the big like leader and counter right. counter mm-hmm. guy, and you never really get much from him in my opinion. Um, he was just there to fight Superman in my opinion. So, yeah, yeah, because he's Batman, right? That, yeah. Right. That. Exactly. But as far as the good goes, um, I do like. I, I have to really like appreciate the fact that the the you know the the, the um the one animation I should say shows this particular story, right? Because right. yeah, I mean you could build uh, a universe so to speak out of these. You could build more films out of this, right? Because right. of of where it stops off, right? Um, cause yeah, this is a really like faceted story. You know, it's something that, um, you know, just just. In retrospect, I, I'm glad that they actually like you know decided to make this into a feature. I mean, even though it does rush very very quick, right? Um, I thought that the action scenes were very well handled though. Um, there's a yeah. few fatalities as well. I was saying that yeah, had yeah, me, yeah. had like literally my jaw dropped with, at those moments though. Um, and you know it was just cool just seeing all these characters just in the middle of this conflict. And it's one of those shows again, just like the you know like a majority of these um, DC films, animated films. It trusts the audience to know, okay, I know this character, I know the relationship with that character, with someone else, so it doesn't have to stop to just give you like a little moment, it's like, oh, this is why this character is in this film, or this is why that character is in the film. They're there, you know what they do, you know what they feel, they kind of express themselves in like a sentence or two, or they get a little moment for themselves, and that's it, really. It doesn't have to stop to explain why, you know, Superman and Batman are friends, and why he owed the other one, and all that kind of stuff. It's right. not about that. It's for the fans, the fans know, so it's like that, right? Yeah, um, and you know, well, animation-wise, I mean, it was it was decent for what it is. You know I mean, yeah, uh, if yeah, I just have fine. another gripe too, before I forget, I felt like you know, design-wise, Wonder Woman just looked a little too muscular for my taste. It just, okay. it, it was just something a little off-putting in the way how she looks to like compared to how she's you know been drawn, so to speak, in in other films. Right, she just looked pretty weird here. Not sure why, just muscular, uh, you know, for the sake of it, right? But yeah, other than that, though, um. 
I I had fun with this. I enjoyed this too. I would say that this is one of the more better um, films to come out of, you know, this um, DC animated universe, basically. And I really would love to see more stories come out of this, right? Because, mainly because of how much stuff is, how much content is stuffed into this, you know, 78-minute runtime. And I mean, there's room for so much other films out of this in the future. I think this is the um, the direction it should go, seeing that they did, you know, Flashpoint Paradox, you know, like, um, well, Sorry, Flashpoint Paradox and, you know, um, what was it? Uh, Justice League War and all that kind of stuff, you know, um, a couple of years back then, you know what I mean? So right. I think that this is the, the, the right direction. I mean, this sort of MCU Civil War version, of, you know, like a DC version of this, um, you know, Captain America Civil War. And I think this is the, the right thing to do going forward. Um, but other than that, I, I, I would love to know what is the next... Um, step after this or what films they're going to bring out in the future you know DC and Warner uh, maybe we'll find out this Saturday you know what I mean at, at um, Fandom and maybe we'll be you know happy by the answers but you know we'll see but other than that though um, this was this was decent this was decent for this man uh, Alice uh, thoughts on Injustice um, well I'm sorry to kind of sound like the negative one in the group with concerns to this um, this animated movie but I didn't like it because uh, I never liked the Injustice storyline. It's not something that I, I don't think I could ever get used to. And um, I tried watching it, tried to keep an open mind. But the first thing that I, I equally didn't like was the graphics. Um, they look very, the characters were drawn very weird in my opinion. And I agree with what you were saying about Wonder Woman. That one really ticked me off a bit because Wonder Woman is my girl as well too. I really didn't like what it drew her. And um, I just don't like the story because it it, it leaves me very unfulfilled and it, it's too it's too dark. It really leaves me with an empty kind of a feeling after watching it. And I agree with you, the, the plot itself is way too um, complicated to just try and rush it into one movie. It should have been divided and maybe it would have flowed a lot better but overall i i didn't like it at all okay so there's there's no positive at all no <laughs> like i don't no. know music or something no nothing i'm sorry that's why i said i would be the very negative one in the group i didn't like that one at all all right all right yeah. teach you soon all right well <laughs> before we get to um you know final thoughts and rating uh tracy thoughts on injustice so, so here's my thing. Um, after Apocalypse War, I remember they That's had it, come Apocalypse out... War. My bad. I, I said Justice League War for some reason. Yeah, uh, sorry. That, that was, I think Justice League War was the first one that, that brought that team together. Well, the first time we met Darkseid mm. um, in terms of the this that particular world. Um, and then after, just after Apocalypse War, what they said was, okay, so Flash goes and does a second version of of Flashpoint, that entire world and the voices and the voice characters and everything like that, that is wrapped. So now we're doing, I think it's more meant to be more like individualized kind of stories. So like you have the long Halloween that came out part one and part two, and then you have, I don't know, whatever else that they decide to do. And then Injustice, which I honestly thought was going to come out next year. I don't know why. Um, so I wasn't even looking for that until, you know, Sir Bailey alerted me to the fact that it's actually coming out. Um, I am one of those people who uh, have never been sold on how um, his worship, um, Zach, has portrayed 
um, Superman because I always feel like if you're going to do uh, dark Superman, so to speak, then give him, or, or if you're going to, 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 to make him broody and that kind of thing, give him a bit of a motivation. The one gripe I always go back to with Zack is the idea of him seeing when in Batman vs Superman where he's flying off and he says, I guess no one stays pure in this world and flies off to go and beat up Bruce. And I always thought that was ridiculous. So swinging that thought around now to Injustice, it was kind of weird because like I could understand through this why he would go berserk. That being said, um, I'm going to lean more towards Ricardo in terms of uh, like I liked it. It was fun. It was something that I would I would probably watch again, but it's not the best. Uh, it's, it's not the best Superman tale one that I necessarily need Two, in a world where the game has been out for some time and I don't play the video games. I don't play the video games, but I have been on YouTube enough times to see people take the cutscenes of the video games and know the plot of it and put it together in this kind of weird quasi movie type something. So when I heard that they were going to do Injustice, the actual animated film, I was like, okay, well, I guess I'll watch it. But for all intents and purposes, I don't know if we needed it. Um, I'm going to agree with Alice in terms of the character design because I, I for a little while, parts of it took me out of it because uh, without being too spoilery, when you look at their knuckles, I thought they were all wearing black bands on their knuckles for some reason. And then I realized, oh, no, that's not, the, you know, black bands. It's just a thing. I did um, I did feel that maybe, yes, it could probably have been a part two storyline because they've been doing that. And they've had a bit of success doing that, especially when I think of coming out of Long Halloween. Instead of trying to stuff everything down in one movie, you give us part one and then you give us part two. You're accustomed to doing that kind of thing. Do that. Um, it was one of those movies where I felt it was kind of middle of the road, which is not a good place, I think, for a DC animated movie. Because if it's one thing that I always give DC 100% um, props on, you might not you know, you might be divided when it comes to the uh, live action films, but they know how to do an animated story. And I'm not sure if I, I'm not sure if this particular wow. animated story hits the mark. So it's a really a middle of the road kind of thing for me. And I do agree also where Ricardo's concerned in terms of, um, what was it, um, Justice Lords. Because Justice Lords, like the idea of like Lex confronting him and telling him, you know, you've been an accomplice to this whole thing all this time. And then he decides this is, you know, maybe you have a point here and here's how it's going to be. You actually feel like there is, there are stakes, there is a thought behind it, that kind of vibe. So while I enjoyed Injustice, I'm not going to say that I didn't enjoy Injustice. I, I, I really did enjoy Injustice. It's not something that I think I would have on my top tier DC animated list. That's my round off there with that all right all right cool all right so written wise for me um decent tree man decent three out of five sorry it was it was right for what it is man um i would say if you've been a fan of these shows and you know well obviously if you're a fan of injustice um you know the the comics and the games yeah give it a look man um or you know if you just prefer your your dc films with you know um, a lot of edgy you know, quote unquote mature content. Um, yeah, I mean, give it a give it a look, man. But don't expect to be completely wowed by it. 
Uh, Ricardo, uh, Rayton. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I dug it for what it was. It, it had some cool moments and some clever ideas, but yeah, much like with you, yeah, wrong as a motor ten. Um, you know, it it just is one of those things that could have released. I felt I felt one of my big problems is that like, we we already had the injustice story for a hot minute. Now you needed to add something to this, and they didn't really add anything to it, um, concept wise. They just kind of ran through the beats that that we we are accustomed to from the game and the comic and. That's about it. it. I really thought they would have done something with it. Um, the only thing that was really like noticeable for this that, I, that was surprising is that they got um, Anson Monk as Batman. And I thought he was, oh, shit, that is Anson Monk. That is great voice acting. Um, mm, that, that was yeah. about it. Uh, that I was really noticeable. That it had solid, solid voice acting overall. Um, everything else was just, okay. You know, they could have, I don't know. I really felt they could have done something more interesting with it. That was about it. But yeah, some out of 10 for me. Right. Uh, Tracy, read, um, your, your, your return. Yeah, I'm, I feel like this is a C plus or maybe like a three out of five or something along those lines. That's where I would go with it. It's not bad. It's just not great. It's like when you have a, a lukewarm doubles or something. It's like, all right, this is, this is okay. I'll eat this. This is cool. But, you know. <laughs> you know I'm, I'm starting to wonder if like DC didn't know this is why they had this on their hands and kind of dropped it before Phantom. <laughs> You know, probably you know. The thing about it is, the thing about it is, I've realized is that when we get into, and I say we as in the fan base, when we get into the the rooms like the Hall H's or the fandom comes, it's to see how Twitter operates. We tend to be really hypocritical. It's like, oh my God, look at what DC just dropped. This is the greatest thing ever. And all this kind of, instead of being truthful. So even if they had dropped it on DC fandom, I suspect on that morning, Twitter would have been along the lines of, I just saw the greatest animated film that just came out and all this kind of thing, instead of being truthful and saying, all right, this was cool, but this was not the greatest thing ever. It's like we get caught up in it, but you might be onto something there in terms of dropping it a week before. Well, because I think it's a, I think part of the problem, I've, I was thinking about this while you all were talking, is that we kind of live in an age where, like, dark Superman isn't even, it's not that, like, it's a debatable point anymore, it's that, like, it's not even a fresh or creative idea anymore. Like, I keep thinking, like, someone pointed out that we're getting to the point where we almost have more dark versions of Superman than we do, like, legitimate adaptations, especially when you include, like, not Superman, so guys like Omni-Man or Homelander or Brightburn, right. like that. Right. Like, we've almost, like, it's, it's, I, it's, kind of, it's kind of lost a little bit of that edge right. to it. That's like an edgy concept. Exactly. I, 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 have, I have my attitude about it is that people, it's utterly shocking how so many people don't get that the default Superman, the character we're accustomed to, is the exception. That's the exception, right? If anybody else is, is get on powers, they'll be terrible people. That's kind of the whole point. And it's like a whole chunk of people, and we were getting to this whole thing about basically a bunch of like, I'll just straight up call them Philistines. A lot of people just don't get Superman. They just think it should be about power dynamics and, and just totally miss the point of the character. And that's the problem with it. If you're exploring it, you have to explore what, like, what's your real weakness of Superman if you're going to explore it? And the core weakness is that is itself, right? You have to explore that idea. And I thought Justice League nailed it, personally. Like, uh, again, I know how this be happening on the DCAU, but when they did that storyline and, and how they played played the Katmas arc, that, that's how you added a handle of Superman storyline. This one kind of hint at it, kind of. Like, the, I thought the ending was okay. Like, what they did with the ending, I was like, all right, okay. But still, 
then you need to flesh out them concepts and sorry to say it's kind of spell it out for people now however i don't rant hey move it yeah and, and um, before i forget though the the, the the actual conclusion of it was was very i, I didn't see it coming I, I would say that much right and uh, i imagine that will be a a, a, a crawl pleasing uh moment for the fans all right uh alice give, give, give yeah. it a very low rating <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, you know you want I'm, to yeah i'm gonna give it a 1.5 out of five because wow. yeah I, I can't tolerate a storyline like that because um to me superman represents everything about hope um like you say he is the the personality that superman has you, you can't take those things away from him um that is that is what makes him who he is and that is what makes him superior to the other superheroes you take that away and and i don't know this obsession with people that like to let's see what what we do if we take this good guy and make him evil i don't know why you have to do that why don't you just leave him alone and let us have our nice superman to give us hope and stuff like that especially during now with the way that the world head in so depressing it, it just didn't sit right with me <laughs> so hence the lord yeah yeah all right all right i understand yeah. yeah, so uh CC, uh, we we leave it up to you uh, to 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 check this out for yourself. Um, I'm I'm a, I'm just, spoiler alert, I'm a pass. <laughs> spoiler alert, uh no, uh I've had my <laughs> I've had I've had my fill of dark superman stories. Um and this and not even the most even the best praise from you guys was it's okay. So I'm not tripping over myself to go see this one. I'm uh, <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. I think I like the games just fine, but that's because I like the DC fighting game and they get into some really cool characters, but I've never read the comic and it doesn't really sound like this movie is going to convince me that this is suddenly an interesting concept. So um, I'm going to skip this one. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right, right. Okay, so uh, let's jump into some James Bond, man. You know? Yeah, Uh, yeah, dead boom. You know what I mean? Um, so, it, sorry. No, I was going to say it is impossible with a James Bond theme to not, you know, keep your back straight and actually walk a little <laughs> taller when that theme starts playing. It's like, it's like, yeah, there's a whole thing. Yeah. All right. Well, just just to to kick things off, right? So so basically, what we're going to do here. Um, well, basically, the this the the point of this um, special here is that we're just going to um, pretty much state our best and worst of the bonds, right? So that would be in this case here, uh, Sean Connery, uh, Roger Moore, and uh, P.S. Brosnan, right? Uh, but we're also going to pay a little tribute to you know Timothy Dalton and George Lazenby as well, right? But uh, before we begin, because, um, you know, it's, you know, just the retrospect review section here. So as usual, we just have to talk about how we, you know, how we how we got into these films in the first place, right? So um, I'll just kick things off and you guys could just follow through afterwards, right? <clears throat> so for me, I'll just make this quick. Um, I kind of just knew about the character through cultural osmos- uh, osmosis, sorry, right? But, you know, at the time I didn't have any cable. This, this is in the 90s, basically, right? So, um, you know, I didn't really know about the 
you know, I've never seen the doctor nose or the gold fingers and all that kind of stuff, right? But you've seen, you know, stuff like that uh, referenced before in numerous, you know, shows and whatnot, right? I always remember, like, uh, even in Sesame Street, right? There was this, you know, Cookie Monster themed section called Monsterpiece Theater, and <clears throat> and there was a section. There was actually a a sketch called Doctor No. You know what I mean? So that all just goes to show how influential the character of of, of James Bond is, right? So for me, I imagine this is seen for a lot of um, Gen Xers, um, especially in Trinidad. I was like officially introduced to the character through a film called GoldenEye, because I remember when it came out theatrically in '95. I was in primary school at the time, so you know I was slightly too young to see it. I was 14 years and over. I was just like what, like three or two years younger. So you know, it was like that. So um, I just kind of was was hoping that one day I would see this film, right? And then two day, two years later, Tomorrow Never Dies. And then two years later, um, what was it? Uh, Will is not enough, right? So around the time that I got cable, this was in the early 2000s, that's when I finally saw those three films, right? Um, I believe the first two used to show on USA, so you know what it is, you're watching a film and you're enjoying it and then you go for a break, like, ugh, you know what I mean? Instead of running, get your drinks and come back, right? But I'll never forget Will Is Not Enough um, airing on cable and I actually watch it when it premiered. Um, and I'll get to my, my thoughts on that afterwards. Well, actually, I should just see it right now. Um, it was, I for what it was, I mean, the opening sequence was really cool, it ran for 20 minutes. Um, but even then and up to now, it's just one of those Bond films that I just didn't really care for, you know what I mean? Um, but you know, at the time though, I mean, P.S. Brosnan, right? That was, this was like the first time I've, I was in a film, you know, I imagine for a lot of like women and, you know, Gen X women in particular, yeah, that, that, this, he is their Bond, you know what I mean? He is the one that they love because, I mean, no lie, I mean, P.S. is a handsome dude, I, I ain't got in front, right? So it kind of makes sense, right? He's like a fine wine. He's only gotten better with age, honestly. <laughs> You know, I'll say that with, but um, I'll, I'll say that with, with another actor, but I'll get to him in a bit, right? So, um, yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah. uh, Doctor Fate, as as Doctor Fate in uh, Black Adam, definitely. Oh yes, yes, yes. He's going to be I'll, in that. Listen, real. I am so ready for that, but that's another story for another time. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So around the time now, when um, when this film now uh, came out, that would be um, <clears throat> Die Another Day. I remember this was one of the first movies that I saw on, as we see it trade that Pirate. So yes, we got like, you know, you know, you know, back in the days oh, wow. where people literally used to come with the camera and just film everything and then like, yeah. you know, leave and you, you used to make fun of these people walking past the screen. So yeah, yeah. I saw a calm yeah. copy of that <laughs> because oh, yeah. I, I didn't even go to cinema to see because I heard bad things right off the bat and then the song, which you're going to get into, just, just did not work for me at all. They didn't have me excited at all, right? But I waited till it came out on cable, and I was like, yeah, good thing I didn't go and see it in theaters, right? So yeah, that was that was like my official introduction to Bond, right? It was it was Pierce. So afterwards, now, um, I jumped into the, um, the Sean Connery ones, uh, the Roger Moore's and all that kind of stuff, right? And I'll just say right off the bat, controversial, maybe, maybe or maybe not, I think that Sean Connery has the best track record at the moment of, of the Bonds, right? I want to mean track record. I mean that a majority of his films are hits. Like, they're just, like, really solid films. Huh? With the exception of his final one, Diamonds Are Forever, which is cool, but it just it just felt tired and watered down. It just felt bland overall, right? 
Um, you know, I jumped into the Roger Moores. I'll get to him in a bit too. You know what I mean? And then, you know, and it's one of those things that they kind of realized, oh, wait, there was George Lazenby. And there was Timothy Dalton. And, you know, I, I sought those films out as well. Right? It's like, wow, it's, it's almost like... It's almost like you're in a library and you just have like this this shelf. So a shelf is, you know, all the bonds. So you just seen Sean, mm-hmm. Sean, Sean, Roger, 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 Pierce. And somewhere in the middle, you see a George or you see a Timothy. <laughs> it was something like that, right? But yeah, so long story short, I got, I basically watched out the, the, the older films during that period. And I was able to do that before uh, Casino Royale, which was the first Bond film that I saw in theaters. Uh, and yeah, basically, just to, just to close things off, I have seen all except for um, No Time to Die of Daniel Craig's films in theaters. Um, those were the only Bond films um, that, I've, that I've ever seen um, theatrically, right? And, you know, even though I didn't really care that much for Quantum of Solace or Spectre, um, you know, I, I, I just appreciate the fact that I was able to, to see a Bond film in theaters because, I mean, I wasn't alive when, you know, Sean Connery was doing his thing or when Roger Moore was doing his thing, right? So, you know, just lucky enough to at least be alive to see you know a bond or bond series sorry in theaters uh so ricardo how did you get into the the bond universe thing uh yeah my both of my parents are really into bond they really loved it uh they all right, all right. they carry me to they, they go to a lot of theaters when they were young and they carry me to theaters when they when i came of age uh so i watch so they talk about bond all the time reference a lot of bond all the time and then when the Bond movies came out, this was the first I saw in theaters was Goldeneye. Nice, uh, nice, We were nice. just going to see all the, all the Pierce Brosnan stuff in mm-hmm. theaters. It was pretty damn awesome. All of them were pretty right. good. And then, question, how, how did you feel coming out of Die Another Day? First Oh, no, first yeah, time. right. So I actually <laughs> I actually liked that Die Another Day for what it was. It was like so incredibly silly and campy and ridiculous um, for what it was. But yeah, it's, it's pretty bad. It's like borderline Austin Powers nonsense, right? Yeah, um, yeah. In fact, in fact, it's sillier than Austin Balls, I would argue. Um, but I remember at the time enjoying it, and the big hype was Halle Berry and wherever it is. But I remember the conceit of it being kind of clever, which is the whole medical morph Shang Tsung thing they was doing right in Cuba. Uh, <laughs> Shang Tsung, yes, for real. Right, and yeah. the big reveal, the reveal of who the villain was. I was like, okay, that kind of clever. But the rest mm-hmm. of the film is total, total goofiness. Um, but I remember having fun with it, just to be honest, um, for, for what it was. Yeah, that's, that's about it. But yeah, uh, yeah, I, I re- enjoyed the PS movie. I enjoyed two of the PS movies, and then I don't like two of the others, like for what they are, right? I like the first PS. I really like the one with Michelle Yao in it. Um, uh, Tomorrow Never Dies, yeah. Right. I, I enjoyed the hell out of that one. Yeah, I thought yeah. that was pretty cool. Um, the one after that sucked. Um, the only thing I liked about that was... The world is not enough. Yeah, yeah. The one, that, that was the one with the boat, with the black boat opening sequence, right? The small mm, yeah. black thing mm-hmm. that he was driving around yeah that's the only thing that was cool in that everything else was bullshit um and then and then yeah golden i'm sorry not golden um the last one uh die another day die another day right that one was again i had fun with it but yeah it's incredibly silly uh but i remember just having fun because of how silly it was and then but then but what was noticeably bad about it and what was the something i immediately noticed was it was after 9-11 like yes yes how we end this now like like bond can exist now and that's why a lot of people wasn't really feeling it for what it was. Um, that's about it. Um, in terms of that sketch up the rest of the franchise, I really like saw a lot of that on, on VHS and um on 
VHS and cable. Like, I caught most of those for the most part. And then I had to oh, see- um, so, sorry to cut you there, but I now remember there used to be a point in time, I think it was on Mondays, uh, USA used to used to run like run, you know, yeah, these used to marathons. Run a bunch of those, yes. And that's yep. how I how, that's how I caught up on it before I actually like yep. that's, that's, Yeah, that's that's pretty much it. It was it was it showed up a couple of the popular ones on Cinemax and whatever, but then you caught you caught most of them on, on USC. That's how I caught a lot of them. To be yeah, that's same same thing for me. Um, yeah, and that's pretty much it. It's, it's, you know, I, I like some of the Sean Connery films. Um, this is a kind of unpopular opinion, but I noticed it isn't. I always thought it was, but it doesn't. Um, I on her Majesty's Secret Service is one of my favorites. Um, probably like the top five or so. Um, okay, okay. okay. Um, then Timothy Dalton is pretty good. Like Living Daylight is pretty damn good. I find. Um, it is. A, a judgment music. And then, yeah, that's how I kind of judge the franchise for what it is. I'm, I, I, I'm very biased towards Live and Let Die because um, his name is, isn't it? And is it yeah, Black yeah, I'm, I'm Yafet Kutu, uh, Yafet Kutu. Joffrey no, Holder. Is it? Yeah, Jeffrey yeah. Holder, right. Yeah, Jeffrey Holder. It's like, yeah, Jeffrey Holder, you have a tree in movie. It's like, good. Um, but, you know, it's, it's pretty middle of the road, bond. And then the ones that I thought I would have liked that end up kind of sucking, like like Man of the Golden Gun and whoever it is. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I'm going to get to that one. <laughs> yeah, I, as I said, as I said, you could just, like, I'm not the biggest, like, super fan of Bond uh, as I thought I was. But, like, I, I realize I know more than most, to be honest, um, in terms of the franchise. And really, let's, we had to talk about the, the working history and, and the context and the, the political and geopolitical context of Bond and the time. And why it is that the franchise floundering now? I would argue, uh, but yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty much my take on it. Right, uh, Alice, um, how how did you? Well, just quickly, how did you get into uh, the, the the Bond franchise? Um, well, I got into the Bond franchise due to my dad because he was obsessed with those books to begin with. He had the whole collection, the book collection. Oh, nice! And, I, I need to yeah. I need to read those though. Like I really need to seek the to seek them out. Yeah, yeah. He had the whole book collection, and he would relate to me that he saw the Bond films when they came out in cinema when he was younger. Um, and by the way, he had seen all at the, at that point. So when I was wow. of age, I was able to watch all of them with him, and I've watched. All the Bond films, including no, um, with the exception of No Time to Die, uh, several times, all of them, because he just made me totally obsessed with that with that character. I have to say, um, in in terms of like my favorite Bond, um, I am kind of different from you guys. I preferred Roger Moore as as my favorite Bond. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Pierce okay. Brosnan was well he's attractive but i can't get over the fact that he's a bit hairy um, oh you know you know I, I was going to I, I i would have said that about um sean connery sean. you know like every time you see sean shootless though i'm wondering like okay women in the 60s and, and early 70s really thought that was sexy like yeah. they really looked yeah, at that, that and like, god damn yeah. Yeah, there was a time that they thought that that was sexy. So that never really appealed to me. Um, Sean Connery had had his charm, but the embodiment of the James Bond character itself, uh, for me, I thought Roger Moore nailed it every time. Um, yes, a, a few of his movies, I'd have to say, were kind of out there in terms of plot as well. Um, I agree with you guys that the man with the golden gun was... <laughs> was very sketchy 
But um, for the most part, I, I'm obsessed with that franchise. I have read Bond trivia up and down all around and know a lot of Bond trivia. I actually downloaded all themes and I have it saved in my computer and I listen to them nice. over and over again. Yes, yes, yes. yes. And yes, I agree with you, Diana, that these sucks. But um, <laughs> yeah. But apart from that, that's, that's my introduction to it and that's why I still love the franchise and I would have an annual James Bond fest every year where I would watch them one after the other for like a week straight. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Um, there's, 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 well, good thing you bring up that though because there's two in particular that I, I could just recommend easily as far as, you know, as far as, you know, like a, a double feature. Just like watch them one, you know, back to back, right? Uh, CC, of course, we're gonna save you for last, right? And I'll say why after Tracy, right? So, yeah, Tracy, how did you um, get into the franchise? I genuinely have no idea how it happened. All I know is, um, I have well, I have a great many of the DVDs, um, and I, I, I don't remember where it, it, I started watching it. I don't know if it was AVM because at one point on one point in time AVM especially during on 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 July August vacation you would get like Superman 1 and 2 and something else and like a bond I'm not sure how it happened but I do remember sitting down and seeing um what was it it's 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 it's, it's Goldfinger um Golden Eye Goldfinger Gold one of them Is it is it Sean Sean, Sean. Goldfinger or PS's um Golden it's Sean's. It's Sean's. It's it's okay, Sean's. Okay, well that, that that's Golden Eye. So it's gold. Uh, yeah. So so Sean's. Sorry. Oh, Sean's oh, is Goldfinger. That, that's Goldfinger. Goldfinger. Oops. Yeah. That, 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 that that's a. This is a great time to have for me to have a brain fart about James Bond. But, um, <laughs> but I remember seeing it and literally that that image of the girl covered in 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 gold and like dead and oh that's uh, iconic. That's iconic. That 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 is something that stuck with me and and very weirdly. Um, I so so this is a weird one, but I do remember AVM of themselves. AVM used to play James Bond Junior, a very short-lived um, cartoon. Oh, I remember. I, I remember bits of it. I I, I never like saw it. Saw an episode in oh, that, That's your other kick-ass theme song. Eh? Listen, okay. <laughs> I fan casted myself long before people was all about like fan casting themselves. I fan casted myself. I always said, you know what? If if I could legitimately do it. I would be his black cousin, his black um, um, nephew. It's just Uncle James. We don't have to get into the, the, the politics as to how he's this color, but it's just James Bond Jr. And I remember being listen, in. Listen, you take a few more, a few more vacations on in Jamaica, okay? Plus, you know, whatever. <laughs> well, however it happened, I, I don't care. It was just like I remember James Bond Jr. I remember being in the library of of one of our high schools. And um, scanning through some of the books there, and there was one or two because they had novelized um, a couple of, of James Bond Jr.'s adventures. So between that and then, you know, because Uncle James was never really in picture, but you, you know, like once or twice you would hear them, you know, like it was just like the shadow of Uncle James or something along those lines. So I have that, and then I actually have the films themselves, and then I started getting the dvds and like you know like like alice i love some of the 
some of the the trivia. I'm very much into like the behind the scenes of why things happen the way they do. So like for me, um, what are we in 2021? It was earlier this year or last year. Somebody posted up the thing about the crocodiles. Um, and one of the, the in 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 oh, in, live, live uh, and let die. Live and let die. When he's oh, I love crossing. that scene, by the way. That, that scene like, is awesome. <laughs> I'm like, how is people now knowing this? This is like for me. This is not a. This is not a thing, um, because I had the DVDs. So I I'm I'm very much into the, like uh, I'm very much into 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 Bond. I give Bond credit for doing something in terms of changing the idea of or or re- reinventing the idea of what a villain, a movie villain, should feel and look like. Because, like, as much as, here's a classic example, I love the idea of, like, Dr. No is sitting down across from him, across the table, and having a dinner conversation with him. And yes, he is going to kill him if he doesn't bend to his will. There is a harpoon under the desk. But there is the idea of this 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 villain almost on a Moriarty kind of level, and that's why you know like when I watch Mission Impossible, um, especially well Mission Impossible now, Mission Impossible now feels like okay Bond has wind, and uh, Mission Impossible sort of started taking you know kind of moving into that space, especially like when they did. Um, MI5 with Solomon Lane. And I remember Spectre came out that year and I wasn't 100% overwhelmed with Spectre, but I looked at Solomon Lane in Mission Impossible and I thought, this is a Bond villain. So this actually just moved into that sort of territory. But Bond for me always had like this kind of special, um, this special earnest place. Yes, the names of his, his female characters um, were always either deeply hilarious or deeply like, okay, what are we doing here, um, uh, Mary Goodnight and BB Doll, Agent BB Doll, which is Baby Doll, and Solitaire and all these kinds of things. Um, yes, you have that going on. Anna Blackman, uh, you know, even up to before she died, Anna Blackman will still go on record as saying that every other Bond girl was a floozy, but Pussy Galore was like the greatest Bond girl that has ever lived because that's the character that she played. And so I like these kinds of, of of things around him. I don't know, like after, you know, when Daniel goes, I'm going to have my period of, of not caring about the franchise. But the minute they say we have honed down four actors to play the next James Bond, I know my hype is going to be off the chain again because it was that way when Pierce... Uh, when they had the 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 the, the press conference for PS and, and all that kind of stuff, so um, I like Bond. I like Bond's themes. I too, like Alice, have like a whole bunch of themes floating around. I did one time. I don't know. I think it was on my Mac or something. But I did have uh, like a ten minute medley that some group of musicians had done, and it was. Uh, the, the better bonds from Russia with love and Thunderball and all this kind of thing melted into this 10 minute arc. And then of course the actual bond theme. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's me for better or worse. Um, and there were some worse and there are some betters. Um, I'm, I'm here to see what's next in terms of the bond franchise on the whole. Oh, also um, in terms of that movie that we, we will talk about later that we're not all together thrilled with, Michael Wilson. I remember watching the behind the scenes featurette where Michael Wilson, who is the stepson of Cubby Broccoli, he was he was talking about 
how that movie is going to revolutionize how Bond is going to be made because now we have access to all this amount of CGI and we can do all these kind of take Bond into places that we, you know, couldn't have gone before. And I'm glad that they didn't go in that direction. I know that the family tends to be very protective about what Bond is and who Bond should be and all that kind of BS. But I'm glad in this one respect that they didn't bother to go down that direction that they thought was going to be revolutionary and just instead make Bond human again in terms of, well, Danielle coming into it. But that's another conversation. I'm I'm just, uh, I'm a Bond boy. So, you know, there's that. All right. So last but not least, and I have to give like a little backstory here first quickly. So uh, when Ricardo and I reviewed um, Spectre, when it came out back in 2015, at the time, CC had not seen any of the films, right? So I believe it was last year or early this year, I, I, I found this out through, you know, Facebook and, and Instagram. Um, you just did a deep dive into all the films and I saw your your, your reactions to them, so to speak, right? So um, if you could just give us like a summary, quick summary of just thoughts just going in blind or, or I should say seeing the, the, the full franchise play out, you know, for the first time. Yeah, um, I swear your your listeners are going to start getting this impression that you just bring me on when you want to, like, spice things up. Uh, no. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> okay, so here's the thing. As, as Matthew has already said, I, I grew up, did not grow up with bombs whatsoever. No exposure, nothing. The thing that I feel like I became aware of around the time I was, you know, teenager and really getting into genre fiction and like really getting into like subgenres and the way the genres are defined is you can't talk about the spy genre without bond and so as you're kind of as i was kind of watching like other spy films even films that had nothing to do with bond like looney tunes back in action there's this elephant in the room of this juggernaut or text that's just kind of hovering over the proceedings and everything is either reacting against it or homaging it or whatever. So I eventually got to the point where I realized that, like, I needed to sit down and give these films a watch. And I was in Los Angeles doing my final semester in film studies as an undergrad. And the film school I was at had this great film library. And I blew an entire month, if not a little more, because they had all the James Bond films. And I was like, well, you know, there's all this hype because at the, this was pre-COVID. So at the time, No Time to Die was a couple months away. And I was like, oh, this would be a good time to sit down and see what all the fuss is about. And like, really go through these films. And let's, let's, let's see what everyone's talking about. Midway through Connery, I remember thinking, it's going to get better from here, right? Like, it's got to, like, <laughs> it's, it's got to, it, it can't all be like this, right? Like, you got to, um, I remember calling my parents um, after I'd seen the first Roger Moore, um, Live and Let Die, and I was like, you know, I was prepared for the sexism, but no one told me about the racism. Uh, and then towards but the... But what names is for tombstones, honky. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh. I love that line. <laughs> I love that line. I'm sorry. And then as I'm getting into, like, later Roger Moore, I am, like, I, I it's starting, around later Roger Moore is really when these films were starting to feel like a chore. And I was, like, like, I love long films. 
I watched Bernardo Bertolucci's The Last Emperor the other night. Two and a half hours just flew by. For some reason, the Bond runtimes are just starting to feel longer and longer and longer as I am getting through these films. And by the time I'm, I'm, finally, I'm finally up to Craig, I get this brief burst of excitement with Casino Royale. And I'm like, oh. Wait, wait, wait. Well, what, about, what about Pierce, man? Uh, what about the Pierce? <laughs> Pierce Brosnan and I are, have have a complicated relationship because I actually really do I, I I enjoy those two middle ones. I really don't feel with Goldeneye. I need to watch it again because I have been unable to make it through the whole film without falling asleep, and it feels bad to say. But like I need to sit down and rewatch Goldeneye. But. I like the, the two middle Pierce films and then Die Another Day. Die Another Day is fascinatingly bad. Like, cause I'm sitting there and I'm wa- watching Die Another Day and I'm like, this feels like this weird hybrid of like trying to bring back the camp of early Bond. But it yes. is somehow yes. meeting all of the access of the 90s. Like, you remember that period in the 90s when everything was over the top and excessive? Mm-hmm. And yes, yes. So it feels like this weird attempt to like bring back the camp and and i will say this i i love camp i really do love camp i love there's a lot of stuff that people think is cheesy or goofy that i just earnestly love with like no reservations like i love original series star trek i love forbidden planet um and even when it comes to dated content like i recently was in a goodwill and came out with a stack of john wayne films it's not dated content but there's i feel like my as i was walking my way through bond and, and bond kind of dominated my brain as i was watching through these films the thing I found myself being frustrated by was that it felt like these films weren't changing even as film history was moving on around them. So, like, the first film comes out in, like, the what mid-60s, like, 64, 65. Uh, 62, 62, 62, to be precise. Yeah. Like, we've, we've only just left the 50s. And mm-hmm. I don't notice a difference in content or style or the way we handle anything until... Maybe the 70s, and I'll get to that one when I talk about best and worst of the Roger Moore era. But, like, the Bond franchise feels like one of those IPs that is very stubborn when it comes to changing and evolving. Like, it feels yep. like Bond has become one of those brands where where people who like and i'm not obviously like not everyone but like it feels like a lot of the people who watch bond and enjoy bond and certainly the people who like manage the ip have this philosophy of okay the world around bond and the spy genre and film may change but people going to see a james bond movie know what to expect there's like a certain checkbox list checkbox you know going into a James Bond movie you're going to get and then you get them. And there are films and I will say there are there are Bond films and I'm not saying this I hate the franchise. It's one of those franchises that confuses me. There are individual installments I adore. There are individual installments that um I kind of want to put my eyes out with a spoon. But then there are um I've never hated a Bond theme song except one. And then uh-huh. it's <laughs> but as a brand, as an IP, as an overarching franchise that is one of the longest lasting ever i think maybe only godzilla is an older continuous franchise than james bond with more installments yeah. but, but, yes yes yeah. uh, if i'm not mistaken yeah but james bond is now what six decades old at this point because like 62 and then we're coming up on 2022 
Yeah, well, it's 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 going to turn sixty next um, next year. Yeah. This, this 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 franchise is sixty years old, and again, I love a lot of older. There's a lot of older content that I really appreciate, but at the same time, when I'm watching any franchise, I always expect it to kind of evolve and change and adapt to the time. And Bond feels like it hasn't, even as the spy genre around it has. Like I feel like the spy genre around Bond has evolved and gone through more trends and explored more new ideas and different things than Bond itself has at this point. So, like, I have this weird, complicated, like, kind of lab animal and scientist relationship with the James Bond franchise, where I understand that it's a pop culture juggernaut and it's one of the most enduring and long-lasting IPs. And there's a lot of ways in which it has affected pop culture. And there's a couple individual installments I have on DVD because I had genuinely enjoy them that much but i have a very hard time quite understanding what all the fuss is about like i have a very hard time overall and with the other ones like i'm still trying to summon up the enthusiasm to watch no time to die after making it through specter and being like that was it that was that no, no, to be fair to be fair even as a bond fan same here because specter was <laughs> specter was terrible Specter yep. was bad. Like, it, it was I, underwhelming for me, man. I it was, was underwhelming. shocked. Like, I yeah. was like, like, and every time, and like, a bad Bond film feels weird because it's like, you've been at this so long, you'd think you'd have, like, figured out how to, like, like, at this point in time, if a, if a new Star Trek movie comes out, I have a certain amount of faith in the people behind it because I'm like, you've all been right. doing this for a certain amount of time. You've all right. been doing this and you've been managing this IP. Same thing with Star Wars, or right. and at this point, even Marvel, even though Marvel's only like 10 years old. Like, I have a certain, like, okay, you've been doing this for a while. You know what this works. You know how, you know what the formula is. You know what the expectations are, but you also know how to subvert them and change them. Right. Enough. And, yeah. Yeah. And Bond always feels like they lean more into the formula. Like, I'm always shocked when people who are like, Westerns are all the same and I don't like them now. Excuse me while I go rewatch the Bond franchise again. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so confused. Yeah. So that is my complicated. It's it's this weird combination of frustration, confusion, with occasional spikes of enjoyment, and then more confusion is kind of my feelings about James Bond at this right. point. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. Like, um, fully, fully understandable. No, no, fully understandable because here's the thing: Bond is something. As I said, it's a. Uh, it's inevitably inevitably tied up with boomers oh my god let's just be clear with that everything that boomers idealize which is the cold war and all the fears and all the aesthetics everything like that whole aesthetic of the 60s driving a fancy car and on some island somewhere does it i mean it's, it's a pure aesthetic thing and it's one of those aesthetics that literally literally i'm using that word hard l literally cannot evolve Right, it, it, that is the whole problem. Like you can't bring back the aesthetic unless you're gonna cater to the past. That's why James Bond past the nineties had to like comment on stuff being post nineties. And it's like, eh, you're kind of outdated and not making any sense. And they had to comment on it, right? And that you know, so the, the franchise never really evolved in any interesting way unless you're gonna evolve the actual geopolitics. No one wants to do that. They still want to say, hey, there's a bad guy over there that's vaguely communist, maybe, well, but like, kind of. They kind of have to do that. And, and like, I was shocked, like, and I hate saying things like this because you're like, people assume it's hyperbole. Every single 
James Bond villain, even if he is played by like an American or British actor, is some kind of racial minority. Every single, even the times when it's like Goldeneye, where like the bad guy is another agent. And uh, one of my frustrations with Goldeneye is that the bad guy is another agent. And they're like, oh, okay, cool. Maybe there's internal conflict between this agency. And I'm going to get into this more when I get into my favorite Bond movie. But like, mm. plot twist, he's actually an eth- he's actually half ethnic, because like, he's part yeah. Cossack. Or oh, something. yeah, I remember yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. You have to bring that up. Yeah. You have to bring like, that up. Every single one, they're like, Jap- Japanese, German, yep. Russian, yeah. black, yeah. and every city. And I'm like, every, and I'm like, why does this happen? And then even when you get into more, and I'm like, okay, whatever. But then by the time you get to the 2010s and we're still doing this, I'm like, okay, guys, yeah. guys, guys like it's a little bit it's like at, at that point it becomes clear. This is something that someone internally has decided has to be a feature of the franchise. And I'm always like, why? I, I think the mean, I think one of the main problems is, uh, you know, the people, you know, behind the scenes, right? If it's not Ian Fleming, it's, um, Harry Saltzman, right? And, you know, uh, uh, Albert um, Brooklyn, right? You know, you're right. Yeah, the Brooklyn right? children. You know, it, it, it's but, like, well, they did this thing in the 60s, so we kind of have to pay tribute to them, right? And even with all the legal stuff that was going on behind the scenes, oh, it's yeah. like, well, we kind of have to stay true to it. So that's why the films always have, you know, this resemblance. They always kind of have to copy and paste the same, you know, formula now, you know? It's the thing My- that's so... So, oh, go ahead, Tracy, actually. No, 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 finish. I don't know. I'll, I'll think it up. Well, oh, oh, by the way, Alice, agree, agree to disagree, yeah? <laughs> oh, yeah, no, absolutely. I'll, I will always take room for disagreements because, like, I'm trying to understand here. <laughs> but, like, one of the things, like, like, I was very thrown off when, like, you know, we got No Time to Die coming out. So there's all this new Bond press and everyone's talking about Bond. And, and then, of course, you know, hovering, like a, again, like a shadow over the whole thing is the news that Amazon has bought MGM, which means that James Bond is now an Amazon property. And then Barbara Broccoli or whoever it is swoops in to be like, rest assured, Bond is going to stay exactly the same as Bond has always been. Nothing is going to change under Amazon. We're not changing our politics. We're not doing any kind of radical reworkings. We're not doing like a Bond as a television series or any spinoffs. It's going to be continue to be movies. And we're already looking for the next Bond. And I'm like, I'm sure for some people that this was a very encouraging press release. <laughs> this was very reassuring, not for me. Not for me. I was hoping we'd get like some some shake up <laughs> at this point. I I feel like there has to be because after the whole that whole legal thing that we that we hint about in terms of Saltzman and Broccoli. Mm. His children, um, and by extension, his his stepson. His stepson is, is Michael Wilson, um, and his actual daughter is Barbara Broccoli. But they always refer to them as the Broccolis. Um, I I feel like if it's not so much to you know, uh, uh, let's keep what, um, let's try to honor Dad and what he what 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 he had, but I feel like they've they've a painted. I didn't say Peter because this happened long before they were born, but they have kept the general box, the general frame of this is what Bond is. And then in terms of even the people who, and I myself am guilty of this, I know what I'm going in when I go to see a Bond. I know that there is a pen that Bond has that's going to turn into a hovercraft. So right. I, you know, like, like I know that that kind of, sh- that kind of shit. Right, so right. even when you, you take, let's say, all of that, like Triple X with um, 
um, Growl. I can't remember his name right now. Oh, with, with Vin Diesel. With, with, Vin? Which, by the way, which, by the way, at the time, oh, at the time, uh, was a very good blend of okay, this is the this Bond is formula, how, you know, but we're gonna right. add a little humor to it, a little tongue in cheek humor as well too. So this is like edgy, you know, be two thousands, let the bodies hit the floor era right. <laughs> version of James Bond. And right. I actually defend um, State of the Union it's, as well too. Dumb as hell. But I enjoy that movie. I, I don't know if I ever really sat down to the State of the Union, but that's another story all by itself. I, 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 I don't know, and 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 this might be my hot take of the afternoon, but I don't know where the broccolis, like what the broccolis could do that would actually satisfy us. In that, and here's what I mean when I say that: there's been a lot of hype. Around the of around Lashana, the idea of Lashana when 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 word came out that she is the new 007, there were people who were going completely amazed and all this kind of stuff. Oh my God, she's a new 007. I was like, well, yes, she is a new 007 because clearly Bond, as uh, uh, as as Daniel Bond, has gone to retired or you get shoot or shot again or something, and he's retired in Jamaica. So the title of 007 is going to fall to the next agent that is available to take his place. But there's to say like, okay, tomorrow morning, we're going to have, uh, it's like when Doctor Who came out and said, the new Doctor is going to be female. It was something that we needed. It was something that that was a change. It was something that that a lot of us were like, this is actually a good thing because the Doctor and the, the, the Master has regenerated into both male and female forms. We understand this. They always talk about that. And yet something happened in BBC, in the, the, the writing and everything like that, that it just started to flounder. And the first thing that people started to, to complain was, oh, well, it's because it's a female it's a female Doctor, which is not the truth. So I'm wondering now, yes, we can have... A bit of evolution and then too you have the fast franchises you have mission impossible 900 because mission impossible is not going to end anytime soon you have all these well options. well well to be fair as long as you know um tom cruise is alive right so well, yeah well yeah, just, just be real. Real. yeah you know my boy he just jump off of everything but it's like <laughs> <laughs> you know there is there's so many offshoots that have that have been born off of born i mean even the, the man from uncle and all that kind of stuff oh, um which i really felt should have been given a second chance with the, the, the warner brothers movie but as another story i don't know what what barbara and michael could say or do that may necessarily work in terms of re reimagining it because they tried that with die another day and he did say and that's what i was alluding to earlier when he he did say in like one of the behind the scenes featurettes on the dvd he was there and he was talking about this is going to be revolutionary we're going to do new things and and this is going to be the start of a new thing and then it flopped because of many reasons yes but it, it, it just didn't feel bond so the next thing that they decided to do was okay let's make him human which is where we bring daniel into the mix but i feel that as long as we're moving forward even the actors themselves know that there is something inherently wrong with bond daniel has always said this man has you know uh, as an alcoholic god knows how his liver has survived all these years um you know they made a joke in in one of the pierce brosnan uh, films talking about his liver i think it's die another day yeah uh, yeah die another day and you know, he's always going to be, um, for want of a better way of putting it, he's always going to be straight white and male. 
So right. what then do what then do we do? Do we say okay after after die another day? Let's do let's pull our Star Wars and let's not have Bond in our lives for quite a while and then bring him back like how they tried to do with the sequels and stuff. Or do we lean into the idea of let's do a deliberate change with Bond? Let's go and get, I don't know, John Cho to be the new Bond. Let's we know Idris is too street quote unquote to be James, but surely there must be some brown actor out there who is actually capable enough to be Bond. What oh, yeah. exactly would what Henry Golding them? I listen, I, I would live yeah. for Henry Golding in almost anything except for G.I. Joe. But yes. Snake eyes, no, no, no. Yeah, you know, no. but I I like I feel I because I I I feel for them in terms of trying to make something new while still appealing to, I don't know, shareholders who are a hundred. Um right. but, you know, I I I'm not I'm not too sure where their wiggle room could do the best wiggle room that they may have had really and truly might have been Daniel. And we're not going to talk about Daniel right now. But yeah, that's my, those are my thoughts on that. Right. So I just want to drop two quick ideas, right, before we jump into the, the our favorite teams, right? So these were just two ideas. Well, one in particular that just kind of hit my head, uh, hit my, uh, my brain literally while you were talking to Tracy. And another one was just this, this idea that I had a while back, right? So... You know, as you're talking about, you know, the future of the of of you know um Bond, you know, I mean maybe there could be a series just pitching the idea, maybe call the double O's. You know, maybe you might just see the other double O's from you know from zero to I don't know um nine, and we just exclude seven because you know seven is somewhere about right, and right. just kind of focus on them. You know, they they, they, they you know they they're trying to survive they're trying to, to they're trying to, to keep themselves paid and whatnot they're doing the assassination slash secret agent jobs right and you almost mm-hmm. you make a, a series out of that so you see other double o's it's not just seven and hints of oh well you know i i replaced the you know 006 or 008 he got killed somewhere right because usually that is usually a double o got killed somewhere so that's why we brought you in born right mm-hmm. and this idea that I had, right, it, it just kind of came as a parody of Logan, right? As in, you know, um, the Wolverine film, right? Basically, right. we see old man Bond, and I mean literal old man Bond, oh, right? Oh, yeah. But he's I retired, have... he's washed up and all that kind of stuff. But here's the twist, though. All, or I should say one of, if not like a majority of his children, because remember, this guy has been knocking up women for decades, Right. One of those in Russia, in India, in all over the place, Japan and Jamaica, everywhere. So one of these kids shows up. So that would be like the X twenty three or whatever this character from um from from Logan, uh, and you just have this kind of you know father son or father daughter thing, and this is like the last adventure you're gonna see with with Bond, right? And I'm willing to it... lose weight for that role. I'm just saying, I'm, I'm <laughs> willing to lose weight and go on a diet for that role. Yeah, and, as closest you know, I will get to James Bond Jr. Yeah, yeah you know, of course, could... of, of course, guys. I mean, button and Tama, how wrong I am, right? But here's the here's the catch of all of this, right? This the this the cell, just like Logan, let be an R-rated film, because I mean, for for sixty years in, we have not gotten an R-rated Bond film. Hey, hey, I don't okay, know if so, this is the direction. Okay, so... After the time to die, I doubt it, but I mean... Uh, on, yeah, Matthew, there's already, there's already a movie like that, and Michael May made it. It's a masterpiece. Yeah! It's all around. 
It's called the Rock. <laughs> I know. <laughs> John Mason. Really about replay, played, uh, sorry, um, Sean Connery played John Mason. And there's always this rumor that he's actually James Bond that was locked up. Literally, I was literally about to say, we've already got the old man James Bond film, and it's called Michael Bay's The Rock. And I will Rock, say, yeah. um, if, if I, I love The Rock, by the way. I mean, I didn't remember. Oh, yeah, no. Yeah. I, I will, <laughs> like, like if, 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 you're, if I'm not having to pick an actual James Bond movie, my favorite Sean Connery James Bond film is Michael Bay's The Rock. I will, I will go out there. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I will save my actual one for when we get there. But um, for the record, my favorite Sean Connery James Bond is uh, The Rock. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, he, 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 yeah, <laughs> I know what I mean. I, I mean, because you, you know, there's always been a rumor flying about that John Mason's actually James Bond, but you know, when you really have that in the back of your mind when you watch a show, it just makes it so much better, you know what I mean? It makes so much more sense. It does, it does actually. So, yeah, um, let's jump quickly into uh, favorite Bond teams, right? So, in my case, um, you know, I'm just gonna just run through. Uh, well, it doesn't have to be a, a particular number for you guys, but I just picked 10, right, out of the amount that came out um, over the years, right? And this excludes um, the Craig films, right, because I wanted to save those for the second um, the, the, the second part, basically, right? So uh, let's run them through quickly in no particular order. Um, of course, the James Bond team from John Barry, that has to be up there. My favorite out of all of them, uh, I, I should say, I'm just going chronologically, has to be Shirley Bassey's uh, Goldfinger. Like, the moment I heard that song, I fell instantly in love with it. Just the big brass and just yes. how, you know, oh, that, just how grandiose everything all feels. Now. Of course, Shirley's vocals are just on point. That he mm-hmm. loves gold that ends the song. That's just the ending of that song. And just those drums in the end, that yeah. perfect, perfection. I love that. Gives me chills every time I hear it, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, it, it, it just made for such a great team. I think, yeah, honestly, this is the best James Bond team ever, in my opinion, right? And by the way, the He Loves Ghoul part, I, I love how, you know, even um, in Austin Powers, you know, which of course is a, 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 a homage to, you know, the Bond films. Um, there was that one, the, the last one, Austin Powers and Ghoul Member, right? So remember, Ghoul Member, he said, I love Ghoul, right? So that's basically a reference <laughs> to. You know the the <laughs> final line of that song. It's one of those. Oh yeah, that's actually true. I didn't know that, but yeah, I, I kind of figured it out myself, right? Uh, I remember her talking up. about having to, how she managed to pull that off and the amount of breath it took because they're in the room. If I'm remembering it right, they're in the room, just kind of like doing their finger, telling her, "Keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going," because that gold had to stretch out for like what a minute, a minute and something, and about then it crescendo. Yeah. So I was like, "Yeah, boy, wow." Yeah, and I forgot to mention too. There was another um, parody that came out actually before um, before uh, uh, Austin Powers, I believe it was called Spy Hard. I think it came out like a oh, year yeah. before was, with um, Leslie Nielsen. Yeah, I, I <laughs> dug that. That's one of my and, favorite. Um, songs. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll only sing song for it. I was fucking awesome. Yeah, and <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, I think the that theme song is both a parody of Goldfinger and Thunderball. Eh? Yeah, Especially like yeah. how they just stress on the last yeah. word, so it's like yeah. spy hard, and then literally when I was like head yeah. pops, you know what I mean? I, I just love that, that movie was just straight up hilarious, right? Uh, so just run through the, the, the list quickly, right? Um, you only live twice from Nancy Sinatra, love this song. I mean, it's just just the, the, the instrumentation behind her vocals is just so lovely and gorgeous and you know it's just such a beautiful song now um and i also love the little asian inflections that they have in the music as well too 
I mean, it's Nazi Sinatra. I mean, she just killed that song, right? Uh, mm. Say what you want about the film. I mean, it's it's one of my, it's one of my guilty pleasures as far as you know the the Sean Connery films go. But um, yeah, this this song was just fantastic, right? The, I, I imagine this might be in your list too, uh, Ricardo. Uh, Diamonds of Fever, Shirley Bassey again, uh, or Bassey, right? I say Bassey, Bassey, whatever it is, right? Um, Diamonds of Fever. Um, you know, we, we knew it as, you know, the song that Kanye was um, sampled for Diamonds from Siri, um, Leon, right? And, you know, just made a great song out of it. I mean, uh, <laughs> we were just bumping that song back in uh, 2005 or six or whenever the, the album right. came out, right? But yeah, the song itself, though, like, I just can't, there's one of those things that you hear, you hear the, the, the rap version of it. And then you actually, like, hear it in the movie afterwards, like, oh, that's where it came from, right? And, you know, it was just, again, surely just doing her thing. Um, just, just a great song, and it's, and she just have a way of closing off these songs, though. So that forever and ever, and the way how she just kind of holds that note until it ends, brilliant. I love that, right? Um, another favorite of mine, uh, "Live and Let Die," you know what I mean, from Paul McCartney and the band Wings, right? Yeah. Um, it was just such a fun song, though. You could tell that Paul just had a fun, um, had fun doing this. I love how the the, the song kind of just ebbs and flows. So yes. It has this calm period, but then when he says "live and let die," you hear that bang, bang, and then it just goes to that. Da, 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 you know what I mean? <laughs> it just yeah. just does all this evident flowing over the course of like what two and a half or three minutes, though. You know what I mean? It was just such a great song. And I would say, as far as title sequences go, we haven't talked about title sequences. It's not one of the most surreal opening title sequences in the franchise. <laughs> it's almost like it. if you're watching a horror flick, though. Now I love it too. <laughs> but, there's the images, like these ghostly images of women and fire and skulls and stuff. But it works though because there are many films they, they touch on, you know, voodoo and stuff like that. Right. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, running through, we have Nobody Does It Better from Carly Simon, The Spy Who Loved Me, right? This nice. be, this was one that of those songs that I used to hear on Radio 97. You know what I mean? Now, um, this is oh, a station that, on a plays, yeah, that plays all these, do all these classic love songs, right? And I would mm-hmm. say, yeah, yeah, yeah. They they play a majority of these songs, um, these these Bond themes as well too. But yeah, this one was just so mellow, boy, so laid back, and you know, it's just a genuinely love song. And it was just it's one of those songs that works in terms of like for me, it's not the title theme of the song, but you hear the you know the 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 title itself, "The Spy Who Loved Me," actually is a lyric in the song itself. But mm-hmm. the the song isn't building from the title of the movie. It's just a song, you know, about, you know, just basically Carly just saying, hey, I mean, he does it the best, right? Basically, you know what I mean? But song was great. The instrumentation, I absolutely love right. though. It's, it's such a great song, right? It, is, um, it I, is impossible for me to not hear that song and not see a Union Jack parachute falling yes, from the right. sky. I will talk about that. I will talk about that. Yes, yes, yes. Um, this, one, this one was interesting, right? Because like I said, I got into the Timothy Dalton films uh, fairly late, right? But in prep, uh, in preparing for this episode here, I rewatched, you know, Delivered Daylights and um, and Lights to Kill, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, I have the themes of both in my list. So um, Delivered Daylights nice. uh, from Aha. No, just the music in particular and just the construction of the song as well. I love, though. The music in particular is is such an earworm though for the living daylight. So it just sticks with you, especially that that chorus though, and how the horns come in. You know, what I mean, after he sings, he lived um the living daylight. I mean, it 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 fits it totally in terms of oh, it's the mid sorry mid to late eighties now. Let's let me just kind of 
use you know music of that time and bands of that time and make some great songs out of it and i think that this song was was great um i imagine this is probably one of the most underrated teams though but i think it just works perfectly in terms of the aesthetic right and then one that i i, I was reminded of you know after watching license to kill uh, the theme song itself um done by gladys knight though um and i love like how in instrumentally you hear bits of goldfinger you hear that dun, dun, you know what i mean but it's just done in you know this this late 80s soul r&b vibe and then of course with gladys knight you know what i mean just just you know behind the mic though it just works perfectly though it's just like a great because as a song this as a whole though it just works as a great late 80s r&b joint you know what i mean it's just solid right and then you know a song that you, you just forget was part of the movie as well too uh, Patti LaBelle, if you ask me too. I'm going to add this as well too. Right. Um, right. And this played at the end of License to Kill. I'm like, wow, that was in this movie? Like, I was shocked. Huh? I was shocked that, that that particular song was in the movie. Now because I, I, so, you know, fun fact, I actually heard this song a lot when I was growing up. Like, I heard this on 97, 100, these stations. Because, you know, at the time it came out in 89. Huh? So literally when I was a kid, I was hearing this song on radio. See, see, this is how old I am, right? I heard this song on radio, right? <laughs> and it's just such a great song, though. The chorus is infectious. Patti LaBelle just kills this song lyrically. I just love it. And I just think that these two songs combined, it's just like a perfect, you know what I mean? This musical choice is to, to open and close the film, right? So two more to go. We have Golden Eye from Tina Turner. Um, this this one really worked for me because it just felt like a contemporary version of like you know a a, a Shirley BC or Bassy whatever it is a Shirley BC um song right you know be with the horns and just how audacious the music sounds that ta da dun 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 and it has this sort of sultriness as well too it really reminds me of like um eighties Tina Turner right like stuff like you know private dance and stuff like that so there was a there was a sultriness as well too and you know with Tina Turner she just has the pipes too and she just delivers it too she gives you the sort of seductive vibe about it too but then she'll just hit you with those high notes especially near the end and you know during the chorus as well too so yeah just love that song it was, it was a great way just to hype up that movie right and last but not least now in terms of the, the Pierce Brunson stuff I have to give it to Cheryl Crowboy Tomorrow Never Dies yes this music video was oh all God, over Channel yes. 4 right. I, I, I just used to watch it every time it was on that song is fan freaking fantastic in my opinion though the instrumentation behind that. I keep saying instrumentation because, yeah, the music is, you know, is the secret sauce to all this, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it just worked too. How Cheryl Crew went in on this. Loved it. Loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it. I even, this little last thing is what I mentioned too. I even love that near the end, you know, she doesn't repeat the title, you know, because she says, I see this in your eyes, tomorrow never dies, right? I just love that she ends the song with, I see this in your eyes, and just stops right there. I just let the music just ride out to the end. I just love that, right? So, yeah, that, and that had me, like, genuinely excited to see Tomorrow Never Dies, even though I'd have to wait a few years until it came out on cable for me to actually see. But, yeah, I thought that Cheryl Crow just knocked out the park with, uh, with that song. So, uh, Alice, if you don't mind just running through your, your, your list of, of favorite volunteers. Oh, well, um, I kind of ended up with 10 as well, too, coincidentally. Um, and, yeah, we have very similar favorites. Um, my, well, I can tell you, at the top of my list, uh, which is actually my favorite, favorite one, is Diamonds Are Forever by Shirley okay. Bassey. Nice, nice, yeah. nice. 
there is a way that when that when I hear that song, it, it just makes me, it gives me like chills, you know, like excitement kind of thing. And there is a kind of sultry kind of sexiness to the whole thing, talking about diamonds. You, you know what I mean? It's it's just a song that I always associate with with a certain type of feeling. So that's mm. why it's my number one favorite favorite Bond song of all time. Um, next on my list is. You only live live twice by Nancy Sinatra as well. Nice, I agree nice, with nice. you. I really like the little Asian little tunes in the background, and Nancy has really has some powerful vocals in that song. Um, even though coincidentally, and we get into it, it is in considered to be one of my worst Bond movies. But okay. I like the song. Yeah. <laughs> I I got this. I got this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the other one on my list is actually For Your Eyes Only by Sheena Easton. Ah, okay. Um, for, for me personally, wow, um, yeah. it fits in that whole, you know, Radio 97-esque, you know, Sunday music mm-hmm. and all that too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I don't know, it's just lyrically and sonically, it just doesn't click with me all that much though. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But it's, it's, a nice, it's a nice song, it's a nice song, that's all I'll say. Yeah, um, I... Um... I don't know. As a little girl, like I knew it it belongs to a Bond movie, but as a little girl, you know, was not yet allowed to watch a Bond movie, but I identified with a Bond movie, and hearing it, uh, also I really had a, I had a, a thing about Sheena Easton when I was a little girl too. I used to listen to all her songs as well, so okay. oh. ro- I just find like it, it it's kind of like one of the top romantic songs for me. And um, that's why I have an attraction to it, mm-hmm. you know. And also, it came out uh, on the year I was born in 1981. <clears throat> okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, License to Kill by Gladys Knight. Ah, yes, yes, yes. Yes. Um, again, one of my favorite songs. I listen to it over and over again. And Gladys's vocals, are something else, really. And and you're right. That R&B kind of soul in inside it. It really is kind of um like for the late 80s uh, it was really suitable you know for the timeline um yes yes, and, uh, totally yes yes um nobody does it better the spy who loved me carly ah, simon yep 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 yes and and carly in in terms of um singers from that era her voice is a voice that is it's not only phenomenal but it's unusual you, you can't help, you can't mix her up with anybody else at all. You you hear Carly open her mouth and sing, and mm, that's Carly Simon. You know, she just has that, that voice, you know? Um, again, in terms of um, why I chose it again, I'm an old romantic at heart, and for me, it's a very ro- romantic kind of song, you know? Mm. Very heroic. Um, an- another one that you had as well, too, Golden Eye, Tina Turner. Ah, yep, yep. Tina Turner is one of my favorite singers, so her, her vocals were just suited for the lyrics in, in this song. And not to mention, she looked very hot in, in the music video as well, too. Oh, she did. She did. <laughs> yeah. 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 Very sexy. Um, All Time High, which was from Octopussy. Yes. <laughs> Octopussy. Rita Coolidge. Yeah, I yes. wanted to put this one, but this is a is an honorable mention for me, and I would say this is um, a guilty pleasure of the uh, of the Roger Moore films, right? Yeah. Um, I know if I watch it again, I'll kind of cringe at you know moments, but I think mm-hmm. like that particular song helped, you know, it, it it helps set the mood in a sense. So I I really yes. really dug this song a lot. Yes, yes. 
um, Goldfinger, Shirley Bassey uh, again. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yes, yeah, uh, again, yes, the, that holding of that last note, uh, I didn't realize, Trace, that um, she was meant to hold that note for so long. It is, is amazing. That, that's to show you her lung capacity. That's yeah, yes. just, wow, <laughs> that lady has some lungs. Um, tomorrow never dies, Cheryl Crow. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Again, I really, I really appreciated the, the this was, a, this is a fault that most of the Bond theme songs had where you find that the particular, um, sometimes it would be like the name of the movie would be repeated a lot during the film. So I did appreciate the fact that it was not repeated as much, which is why that other song is um, one of the most hated ones, the, uh-huh. the one that we mentioned. Um, and my last one is Live and Let Die, Paul McCartney and the Wings. Woo. Yes. Um, again, big up to Trinidad for the yeah. actor. Jeff yeah. Fielder. Jeff Fielder. Yeah. Yes. R.I.P. Yes. And again, it has one of my most favorite actresses in the movie, Jane Seymour. Making yes. her oh, yes. debut. Yeah, Dr. Dr. Quinn. Dr. Quinn herself, yeah. Yes, yes. yes. And she was <laughs> her little baby face, like a little doll in the movie. I know, not right? To mention, <laughs> not to mention her cast name, Solitaire, because she yes. did a card. Yeah, it, it's just amazing. Yeah, those are my top Bond themes of all time. Of course, I, I love a lot of the other songs, but if I had to cut it down, these are my favorites. All right. Uh, yep. Ricardo... Favorite Bond teams, no particular order. Right. Uh, well, I'll just cut down to five, if there's anything. Because I see the five I remember off the top of my head. Um, that, that stick with me. Mm. Um, number five would probably be Man with the Golden Gun. Um, All right. Silly silly song, but I like oh, it. That, 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 that's my second... Yeah, that, that's yeah. my second least favorite. You know what I mean? Yeah. I just yeah. find that she's just, like, explaining... Oh, right. it's the man with the golden gun and the call yeah, for him. Yeah. Like a story, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Shot with, I like that. I like that. But, but the music is addictive, right? I wouldn't right. like it. It's addictive, yeah. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah number four, uh, The Living Daylights. Um, really, really nice. catch. Mm. It's, it's very 80s, but it works. Um, it, but it's that's great 80s, huh? Great 80s. It's good 80s. Yeah. Uh, number three, Golden Eye. Um, nice, nice, you know, nice. Again, you can't go wrong with, 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 with that Golden Eye thing. Number two, well, you, you call it yourself. Um, diamonds are forever, yeah, mostly uh-huh. because I can't guess. <laughs> that's that's yep. obvious. Um, this one is tough, but I was in my head because I have a budget of that, that um, side of but I'll have a honorable mention, two honorable mentions before we continue. Um, sure. the, living day, the Living Daylights, pretty good, um, opening one. I just mentioned that, sorry, like the skill, yeah. sorry. Oh, like the, okay, yeah, yeah, like the skill, sorry, are dead. Um, if <laughs> this, this is a, 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 a bond, non bond song, <laughs> Snake Eater. <laughs> Yes! <laughs> Snake Eater is the best bond, best non-bond bond song. Listen to oh. it. It is an amazing bond oh, song. Please. I see what you did there, Ricardo. Well, well played. Well played. Yeah. All right. So number one, my number one um, bond song, "Live and Let Die," Paul McCartney. Um, ah, I knew from it. start to finish, just works as a bond song. So, such a great track. Um, Paul, Paul, Paul McCartney just you know bring the vocals. He makes it work. It builds really, really well. Yeah. There's a track I can just listen to. It is on. The jogging cycle. That's how good it is. Nice. <laughs> yeah. So I'm yeah. All right. Uh, CC, what is your just, you know, quick list, favorite Bond teams? No particular order. Oh, yeah. I mean, I did have, like, my top uh, five. And I actually arranged these from, like, uh, 
Because, like, as I said, as, except for one, and I think we all have the same one, um, I never met a Bond theme I didn't like. But, no, my, my favorite, um, for, favorite five, but then first honorable mention for All Time High by Rita Coolidge, because it's the least Bond theme of any James Bond movie, I think, except for the one that's so much so it's bad. But it's such a chill track. Like, I put on yeah, all time. yeah. Okay, I'm I'm having a chill, calm sort of day now. Okay, I'm 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 just vibing. That's all that's happening. Like I I I, I do love that, but that's like honorable mention for. But then like top five, um, you only live twice. Mm-hmm. Such a like like Nancy's. I do not understand why like Nancy Sinatra does not. I did not do at least. Uh, I mean, I know that they keep it fresh and they try to like mix it up so it's a bunch of other, um, uh, you know, it's different artists. But I could have listened to a whole album of like Nancy Sinatra songs inspired by James Bond themes, honestly, because like she's same, per- same. She's yeah. perfect. She's you know, you know, it was funny. Come to think of it, that you know we don't get albums like that. Like an artist who does a team does a full album. You know, I mean, for the movie, you know, you only get like one song somewhere. And I think it's because I mean, and the people here who know Bond trivia more than I do could correct me if I'm completely off base. But from listening to Billie Eilish talking about No Time to Die, I think what happens is the score is composed, and then the composer meets up with whatever artist has been selected, and then they sit down and take the main theme, and from that they create the the song, like the 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 title song. Which one of the reasons I love all the Bond themes because they have this orchestral, they they have this movie mm. score sound of them it's like it's like you ever notice how the i need a hero from the finale from shrek 2 sounds so big well that's because they've taken i need a hero and they've added an orchestra and a choir behind it and the bond themes have a similar feel where they feel much bigger and like their rhythms and like their movements are a lot more complex and i feel like the artists they've picked to like collaborate to create bond themes are like this random delightful grab bag but i love them a bit but like so as i said only live twice uh, Thunderball, Tom Jones. Like I cannot okay, think. Okay. <laughs> I cannot think of a more like archetypical. Like before, I had ever seen a Bond film. I had listened to Thunderball, and it kind of created. And like it was definitely like when I think about the when I think about the things I like about Bond, you know, I I hear it in like like Thunderball, especially like. Tom Jones has that kind of voice where he can meet the like orchestral power. So like when there's like you know like you know that that theme starts with that like drum boom and then the the yeah. horns da 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 like and then yeah that's what I love you, you hear bits of the original theme in it that's what I love and then and and Jones's voice is like on there with the instruments like going up and like punching and like this, this powerful uh no oh, like voc- like his vocal power is on par with all the big instruments going on so I love that. Um, Live and Let Die, number three, Paul McCartney and Wings. I, mm. bearing in mind that the the theme songs often created because the musicians are working with the composers and they start off with the main theme. I'm just imagining Paul McCartney looking at this weird main because like the main theme for the main theme for Live and Let Die is so odd. Like it's such an odd Bond theme because it starts off with like the more conventional, and then there's the bits where, and then there's the chase scene parts of it where yeah. it. Bing, and so you, I'm imagining Paul McCartney looking at this weird ass piece of sheet music that's like all over the place, and then manages to create a theme that 
actually flows and laces and makes sense. And there's this, and it, it's it's serious and very Bond, and then occasionally sultry, but then also powerful and then playful, like very playful, and has pop, and it has this whole like feel to it. And I really, really love that about it. And then top two, uh, for your eyes only, Sheena Easton. I okay. I adore, okay. I adore, I adore that track so much. No, because like no, no, because like I love I love Easton in general. She she's one of my favorite of Prince's proteges as far as like musicians go. And you and there's elements like Sheena Easton is the closest we could ever get to like well, I mean, aside from the Batman soundtrack, but Sheena Easton is the closest we're ever gonna get to like Prince doing a James Bond theme, is what I would mm-hmm. argue. Yes. You hear that sultry, sexy, but also very like, chill, calm, like very romantic feel yeah. to it. Like that, like that calm, romantic quality to it, which is yeah. the part of Bond that I feel like Bond at his worst misses for me. But at his best, I see it is that like the roman- Bond of the romantic is something that I quite appreciate. And wet and Sheena Easton's for your eyes only. Yeah, and she also has a, a little cutesy kind of little tilt to her voice. I don't know if you recognize it. Oh yeah, it's really it's it, it, mm-hmm. it's it's wonderful. It honestly is. And that yeah. and her song Eternity are two of my favorites from her for that reason. I think that whole album is great. Yeah. Um, but and then finally, my absolute and anyone who follows me on social media already knows this. But my favorite Bond theme of all time is "License to Kill" by Gladys Knight. That yep. song. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. It, for me, it's just an absolute instant hype track whenever I listen to it. Like, it's, 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 first of all, um, I don't know why no one brought in Michael Common to compose a James Bond theme sooner. Like, you, like, like, I know, right? <laughs> listening to the music for Lethal Weapon, you're like, how? Yes. This is the lethal, right. Especially, yeah. especially he, he, he just has this way of doing dark orchestral music. Yeah, <laughs> it just works in action oh. films. I just hear it again in Lysa Kill. I'm like, wow, this fits. This totally fits. Oh, and by the way, um, Lysa Kill came out the same year as Little Weapon 2. Coincidence? I think not. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it did. That's true. <laughs> Which is also like the best Lethal Weapon movie, but that's another discussion for another time. But like, but like, and like, also, I would also make the argument that the first Lethal Weapon, I, I, I would swear this is how he got the job. Because the first Lethal Weapon also has the best not James Bond theme, Bond theme, with the whole um, song Lethal Weapon by Eric Clapton, based on, like, Michael Common's music. But mm. the, that, that song is brilliant, and it has that great, like, sultry Bond quality. But License to Kill is the kind of song that, like, I don't know, it makes you sit up, it gets your hype going, gets your heart rate up. It's like, like, the, the vocals, there's a narrative to what's going on. Gladys Knight vocally is unmatched and has always been this absolute queen of a vocalist and i love her so it's also the only bond theme sung by a woman maybe there's a couple others you could argue the point but it's the only bond theme sung by a woman that feels like it's in character as bond right so like rather than like the singer is either observing bond from like some distance or it's like a bond girl talking about bond this feels like bond himself but like Cheryl, but like um, Gladys Knight, like performing the song like, in character as Bond, and so there's this. And given where Bond is dramatically in *License to Kill*, and we'll get to that when we get to uh, when, when we get to Bond, when we get to best and worst Bond movies and all that, and I will talk about *License to Kill*. I have a lot of thoughts, but given where Bond is dramatically, *License to Kill* fits, and it captures a lot of that like angry, 
energy and that like destructive like I am going to like 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 someone's getting fucked up. I, I am here. Like someone someone is gonna get someone's gonna get fucked up. I'm out. I'm I'm out on the the. I'm out. I'm on a I'm on a streak. Like this is it, it's got that power. It's got that emergency. There's and then the vocal qualities just match that perfectly. No license to kill is I think aside from two Craig songs. Um, I did as oh god the year I watched Bond the, the year I, like last year when after I marathoned Bond my Spotify rap informed me that my top three um, most listened to tracks of 2021 2020 were all Bond themed and I was very upset at myself because I, like, <laughs> I was like oh, I you traitor but like and and. The, the other the other two were Craig tracks and then License to Kill because License to Kill. Right. And last but not least, uh, Tracy, your your thieves. Hi. So uh, some of you have touched on a few that I quite like, um, but I'm going to throw in this one. I'm going to throw in Shirley Bassey's Moonraker, which is um, I feel like everybody. It, it's one of those things like everybody goes off on Diamonds Are Forever. Um, and they should, and everyone goes off on Goldfinger, and they should. But there is something, I mean, it's one of those things where the the movie Moonraker, I have mixed thoughts about it, but I've always... <laughs> I've always really and truly loved the idea of it. It's, 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 it's the... You know, um, uh, where where are you? Where do you hide? Just like the Moonraker goes in search of his dream of gold, I search for love. Um, mm. For someone to have and to hold, and there is something about how she brings that out. I don't know if that was like her last track. I don't know if I can't remember if like that was like surely could you come back in and just do this for us? Um, yeah. <clears throat> to I, I, point, I think the reason why that song works though, um, uh, because even though I'm not completely walled by the song, um, I just kind of do like the fact that they had to squeeze in Moonraker in the lyrics. That's just me. Um, the music, the music is just so pleasant do and just it, it just it puts it just mm-hmm. is is euphoric it's really really euphoric when you hear it though it's so oddly euphoric though now here's the here's here's the flip side to that at the beginning of moonraker they have the slow beautiful version and then at the end of moonraker if i remember correctly they try to do this kind of disco remix type oh, of yeah, something i remember that <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, i remember oh, thinking oh, what is this but in terms of the actual song, there's, 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 there's a feeling that I can identify with, and I, I go nuts off of Moonraker in terms of that song of itself. Um, Goldeneye, definitely, yes. Um, Live and Let Die is... <laughs> so there are songs... There are songs that I... Uh, I uh, when I'm playing it in my in whatever player that I have, whether it's on my phone or whatever it is like that, and I'm walking down the street like my whole body does a thing, and moon uh, sorry, live and let die is one of those, because especially I mean, and this is just like a quick personal insight for me. Like I mean, like I I'm in an industry where clients say things like. Um, could you Photoshop the shadow behind the the guy in the ad? And I, you know, when you get stuff like that, you know, there's something about like if you choose a track to listen to at that same point in time. And I remember there was a point in time in my life where I had that playing like forever. 
Um, so I very much dig live and let die because sometimes you really just want to punch somebody in the middle when it goes into that. You really just want to. Um, yeah, that, that, actually, that that's, section actually makes for good, you know, punching people in your face. That is some good fight music. So I, I, I live with that. I also very much um, agree with you all in terms of you only live twice. Um, fun thing. I love Nancy Sinatra. Um, I love hearing this version. And well, this. And then I was going through my Bjork phase. Um, and I say Bjork phase because I, I got involved with somebody and they kind of ruined Bjork for me. Um, but I had a Bjork phase where Bjork played um, You Only Sang, You Only Live Twice. And you know how Bjork's voice does this kind of break every glass in your house kind of uh, octave. I, I love hearing that version as well as in Asics and Nantra version. Uh, so yeah, there's that. To CC's point, because um, I do think, yeah, he is right. They do have whoever is the composer. So yes, you have the, the front the front person. So like um, Sam or whoever is singing the song, but it usually is the composer having the thought and scribbling a thing and then they're bringing they decide who the artist is and voila we have a theme um so i have that um you only live twice live and let die moonraker golden eye and my absolute favorite which i admit i have sung off key um quite a, a few times is just randomly standing up in the kitchen and singing darling i'm killed i'm in a puddle uh, on the floor, on the floor. Waiting, Waiting for, for you, you to, to return. <laughs> Listen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love <laughs> that theme. I love that video. I love the cellos behind it. I love the violin behind it. I just love how that makes me feel. And I have like one or two. Carly Simons. Uh, um, um, nobody does it better. Nobody does it better. That is in my honorable mentions. Because uh, right. when I started to think about in terms of some of like the best themes and the worst themes and y'all will kill me when we come to the worst themes but when you know like the thought that to, to try and, and make a short list these are the ones that i like and it's you know from moonraker that really is yes it really is very it, it kind of gives you a nice chill vibe i really do like moonraker all the way up to live and die and tomorrow never dies which i can you know listen to forever and ever and i'll be pretty much happy with that those are my favorite themes um for bond okay and we could all agree that the worst bond team is madonna's dad <sighs> and yeah. It's very weird to me. Like when when that came out, yep. I was on that hype train. I was there. I'm gonna live, nah, nah, nah. and I was there with it. And then, I, although I will admit, I will admit, as much as it is not my favorite, there are moments where I just randomly sit down by my desk or something and just random, randomly shout out, Sigmund Freud, analyze this. And right. I just, <laughs> <laughs> but it's not okay for me. Part of the problem with 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 Die Another Day is that it's also so bloody disappointing because like this was after Madonna had done the soundtrack for Dick Tracy, right? It was and, years afterwards. Yeah. And, and here's the thing: you'd think from listen if you listen to the Dick Tracy soundtrack and some of Madonna's mm -hmm. earlier work, 
That you oh, like, yeah. Oh. oh yeah, especially Vogue though. Like Vogue is Vogue is a classic actually. And you'd be like, oh man, we need to get her to do a James Bond theme immediately. Like absolutely, this 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 woman was made to do James Bond. And then you listen to it and you're like, how did this go so wrong? <laughs> yeah. Uh, for one thing though, I mean the the decision to have her um, in auto tune made no sense. It just made her whole vocal sound really idiotic, a robotic. Yeah. yeah. Terrible. Like, da, da, eh, eh, yeah eh, eh, right. And then, like, when you see it in the movie, though, and this is like one of the creative decisions. Like, probably this is hands down the worst um opening sequence, tight sequence in any Bond film. You're basically showing Bond being tortured. I understand right. it's PG thirteen. You're working around it, though. But I'm supposed to be excited for a Bond film and I'm seeing him being tortured. I you seeing all these random images of diamonds and water and fire? I, and I, women, I don't think that was, I don't think that was the worst idea. I don't think that was the worst idea. But the scorpions is what like the scorpions. The scorpions. You didn't like the scorpions which, which, which dancing in times. Which never comes time. back up in the film. Yeah. No, I was just saying if y'all didn't like the scorpions dancing to the um to you know the tails of the scorpions actually dancing right. in time. Oh, yes, 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 that, was, that was too wrong. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, 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 that was so silly and ridiculous. Why? Why? Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, I understand it's the 2000s, so you know, we have to sound like we're from the 2000s, but god damn, man. Like, it was a slap to the face, though, to like, you know, um, to John Barry, who, who, who composed the score to begin with, the original team. It just felt like it was just an update in the absolute worst way, man. So, yeah, without a doubt, man, the worst, the worst team song, right? All right, so without wasting time, guys, let's finally jump into our picks for, you know, best and worst, right? So uh, what we're going to do, we're going to kick things off with the uh, Sean Connery. Um, then we're going to talk quickly about um, George Lazenby, then Roger Moore, and then we're going to talk briefly about Timothy Dalton, and then we'll end with Pierce Brosnan, right? So as far as my favorite um, Sean Connery uh, Bond film goes, uh, that has to go to Goldfinger. To me, this is the blueprint. This is the formula. This is how you do a Bond film. This is how you do a Bond spoof. You know what I mean? Like you, everything you need to know about how to how to design and write a Bond film is right here. This is a literal blueprint fit. Uh, I mean, for one thing, like I said before, the team song is just fantastic. It's my all-time favorite. Uh, Shaw Curry just works himself into this role perfectly, right? And, you know, this is the third time he's played Bond here. And here, he just just fits it, right? Yes, he's dropping all these lines like, shocking, and I must be dreaming, and all that kind of stuff. But you remember those moments, right? You remember Pussy Galore. You remember that that reveal of her name and just the reaction of Sean, right? Um, you remember Odd Job, right? You remember, and of course, you remember Ulrich Goldfinger, right? One of the, the greatest villains in, you know, um, Bond, in the Bond franchise. Um, you know, his lines like, no, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die, you know what I mean, and all that kind of stuff. I just love how... Just as a film, just as a uh, as a as a Bond film, how fun it is! It's it's escapist. It's just you kind of rock back in your chair. You know what I mean? You're, you're having some Sunday lunch and you're just enjoying this film. And that that that's what it was for me. I just like, and I it's just one I could just watch over and over and over. I mean, yes, it have some stuff that don't really hold up at all, like the invisible gas. Like I mean, come to mind, like invisible yeah. gas, invisible gas. I mean. It's, Oh, and, and that whole plot with 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 uh, with with Fort, with Fort Knox. I mean, yeah. it, it, it sounds it sounds it sounds it logical, eh? but <laughs> I mean, but it still it still works for me, though, and it still remains one of my all time favorite Bond films, right? I don't have like a top top at the moment because I like to 
you know, basically classify them in terms of actor. But for me, this one is my top, right? As far as my least favorite, though, or I should say worst, matter of fact, I'll call it least favorite, right? Because I don't hate this film. I would say just for all these films in general, even Die Another Day, I don't hate these films. I don't think that they are unwatchable. It's just some just don't hold up as well as others. Some you just have to really gear yourself up uh, for to watch, right? But all I make it just kind of watch and, you know, appreciate them for what they, what they are, right? But for me, though, as far as the worst goes, or worst quote-unquote, boy, unfortunately, I had to give it to Diamonds Are Forever, boy. Um, this this was where, and, you know, it's these circumstances around it, too, right? Because um, we're going to get to George Lazenby in a bit, right? Uh, because of the failure of um, On Her Majesty's Secret Service in the box office, uh, the producers basically begged Sean to come back, you know what I mean, for, for Diamonds Are Forever. And... I mean, yes, he is born, and you know, I mean, the team song is fantastic, boy. But the story just did nothing for me. It was just this whole convoluted thing about, oh, we're gonna pretend that Bond is dead and all that kind of stuff. And you're thinking, oh, they're gonna be, you know, because one thing I love about the Bond films is, you know, these, you know, these locales. They keep going into exotic locations. They just go to Los to to, to Las Vegas and just stay there. And as far as oh, you want to see some beautiful locales? How about the Nevada Desert? And let's see, let's see Bond in a in a moon buggy driving it. Isn't that fun? No, not really. It's just bland and boring. Really, it just looked like your average, you know, early seventies action film. Unfortunately, which is the last thing I want to say about a Bond film, right? So yeah, I mean, it's it's not one that I, I flat out hate. It's not a show that I can't watch if I feel like it. But yeah, as as far as you know, as as Bond, as far as the Sean Connery films, yeah, this was a kind of disappointment for me. So uh. Alice, um, best and worst Sean Connery film. Um, actually, don't come at me for this one, huh? but um, my favorite Sean Connery is Diamonds Are Forever. I'm sorry. What? <laughs> Tell me why. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know if it is that it's my favorite one because I remember that was the first Bond film that I actually saw in my entire life. So I don't know if. I love it out of nostalgia or what, but uh, I also like the Bond girl as well too, Jill St. John. She's one of my top Bond girls as well, and I just thought that her chemistry with Sean Connery was so, you know, kind of off the walls kind of thing, and I, I love the little um, quirky little element of the character of Tiffany Case, even though, you know, she was a diamond smuggler. You know, I just... I don't know, I think it might be more of a nostalgic kind of thing as well right. for me as it's the first Bond film that I ever saw in my entire life. Right, right. Yeah. Um, oh, fun fact I have here for you guys. Well, I don't know if it's a fun fact, but it's a bit of a, a trivia. Um, you remember the actress um, Natalie Wood, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Her, her sister, Lana Wood, actually acted as the the Bond girl who was in the casino called Plenty O'Toole. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, which is one yeah. of the most cringy, I remember plenty. One of the most cringy, you know, yeah. Bond girl names like ever, in my opinion. Yes. Yeah. The first time I heard it, I was like, oh. but yeah. So here, here, here's a freaky coincidence. I just want to let you guys know, right? So Robert Wagner was Natalie Wood's husband, and he was um, right now he's under suspicion of having something to do with Natalie Wood's death, right? Oh, um, true yeah. crime scenario. Right. But here, here's the other thing. Um, Jill St. John is his wife now. 
So basically, <laughs> his ex sister in law and his future wife were in the same movie. Yeah, just that. <laughs> yeah. Coincidence? I think not. <laughs> yeah, pretty. Right. Um, well, what's okay. what's your what's your worst? Pick? My worst um, is actually you only live twice. I thought that I, the, I could understand. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I thought the plot was a bit of a weak source to me. Um, I thought the storyline was all over the place. Even even though I loved the introduction of Donald Pleasance as um, Bluefeld, I always thought that he was the best Bluefeld that that they had. The head of Spectre. Mm, yeah, we know, we know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. yeah, but it's it's my worst um, Sean Connery film because it's just all over the place and it's too uneven and it is not actually in all of them. That's the one I've watched the least. Okay, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. and you know, as much as a guilty pleasure for me though, uh, I really can't forgive the, the Asian face that, that they give Sean. Yeah. Like Yeah, it was a bit disrespectful. No, no, yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. Uh all right, so CC, uh quickly your uh pick for best and worst Sean Connery. Oh, this is hard. Connery is my least favorite era of Bond. Uh <laughs> like it's it's so okay, but like Cause like okay for okay for best oh man I'm I'm going to be unpopular but for best like the one I find the most enjoyable and I keep going back and forth on this one for a couple reasons for obvious reasons but my very conflicted best is actually you only live twice and there's a couple reasons for that I like the okay the big selling point for me of the Connery era is is the camp but like I'm watching Doctor No I remember and I remember having this thought of oh. No one told me that these films were, like, fun and over the top. Okay, okay. And then, like, as they go on, they're, like, oh, like, like very over the top, very, like... But unlike Die Another Day, that's trying to, like, force that back, it's very, like, genuine and very pulpy and very campy and very... But, like, in a way that feels genuine and organic. Now, my issues with... My issues... What, what makes the films harder for me to watch is actually not that, but, like... Uh, dated uh, gender politics, dated racial politics, and mm, social mm. political stuff. But for me, You Only Live Twice is the most over-the-top and the most campy of the Connery era. Like, it has... It's the one that's It so, has ninjas. Like, yeah. <laughs> it has ninjas. It's the one that... I'm in, I, have, I am pretty sure this movie invented that poisoning someone by lowering a thread into their mouth and then pouring liquid down the thread thing like i i know yeah. that exists. i i i won't be surprised but i uh, i've seen like some ninja flicks like some samurai or ninja flicks adopt that but i feel that speed racer right after. that <laughs> oh, did? okay okay yeah but i feel that this did happen right after you know um you live twice yeah but like it's it's genuinely funny. It's it feels a little tighter than because like one of my I remember I was going over my notes in preparation for this. I was going over my notes from my initial watch through, and I don't even remember from Russia with Love like that. Mo- I'm trying. I have sat trying to remember that film, and I am not like it's not conjuring up any like I don't remember what happened in that film whatsoever. But. You only live. You only live twice. Is weird. It's bold. It's it's got much tighter action, much tighter plot. It feels it has fewer unnecessary scenes. There are still plenty of unnecessary scenes and subplots. It has the closest to like a female spy who keeps her own with Bond of the 
Connery era, and that's still not saying a whole lot. And the only re- but but I feel like the only reason I ended up not I have not owned it, I do not own it like on DVD, is because of stereo the Japanese stereotypes and the yellow face makeup that they put Sean Connery in, which which every time I'm sitting there like, oh man, you only lived twice was a good time. Maybe I want that on DVD. And then I have this image of Sean Connery made up to look Japanese. I'm like, no, 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 never mind. Never mind. I can do without that one. But <laughs> the favorite of that one is You Only Live Twice. Least favorite, I am gonna have to say Diamonds Are Forever, only because mm. like it feel it does feel very weak. It feels very much like because I know that none of the actors, despite their enthusiasm when they first got involved in Bond, I don't think any of the actors involved in Bond were like thrilled by the time they left the franchise. And I'll get into that when I talk about my, my favorite, least favorite Roger Moore. But a lot of the Bond actors were very much done by the time that we got to their last films. And Connery definitely feels that way. Like Connery, Connery, Connery throughout a lot of Diamonds Are Forever has the energy of Harrison Ford in Rise of Skywalker. Like he's not, <laughs> not thrilled to be back, but he's he, he's back anyway. And, and dropping the, the one-liners with much less conviction. But... Yeah, so I would say favorite, You Only Live Twice, but God, that's a conflicted favorite. Um, and then least favorite, Diamonds Are Forever for me. All right, uh, Tracy, uh, best and worst, Sean. All right, okay, I will tell you my absolute worst, Sean. Um, my absolute worst, Sean, is... Never say never again, which is considered, which is for all intents and purposes, un, un, unofficial, <clears throat> because Eon didn't really, <clears throat> excuse me, Eon didn't really produce it. But no. never say never again. I I I I have this this memory, this feeling, of getting like really excited about seeing. Oh, okay, Sean, or seeing this. For some reason or the other, I don't know if it was showing on set same cable or somewhere it was. And then it became, I realized very quickly, this is kind of like a, a spoof of a franchise. But at the same point in time, you're using the main character. He's much older. He's trying to do the swag thing where he's still trying to be all suave and, you know, hot for the ladies and all this kind of stuff. It is if, okay. If if The Rock is the 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 best James Bond is old movie, Never Say Never Again is the worst James Bond is old. Sean doing I don't know what to, to just fling cash at him because again it wasn't a a, a cubby broccoli Ian Ian um, uh, Eon Eon film, but it still falls in line. And that for me falls as the, it's the worst. It, it would have been a lot more um, palatable for me if you had taken Sean and you had said, let's do a Johnny English or some kind of type of something and say, let's make fun of the franchise that you just English. left. <laughs> and Johnny English is, Johnny English is, is cool. But so for me, just the idea of that um, kind of just dampens it for me. Whereas on the flip side, I um, so I'm I have two thoughts here in terms of 
of, of best. I give Dr. No special mention mm. because I saw Dr. No, um, I didn't, so when I actually started watching it, and again, I don't really remember how it started. I just know I got into it. Um, but when I saw Dr. No, this was, this was after um, I had seen Diamonds Are Forever and all that kind of stuff. And then we saw, oh, the very first film is Dr. No. And I think I have that one on DVD as well. I'm not sure. But, uh, you know, that one didn't have like the wild opening sequences that we that we came to know and love. It was just basically like the silhouettes of girls dancing and it was like the gun barrel or whatever it is like that. It was It wasn't polished. It was the very first, if I'm not mistaken, it was the very first. But what I like about it is just, and I have it as an honorable mention, but I like it in terms of it's Sean just being playful with everything on the set. It's Sean seeing, again, I can't remember her name right now, but she's there at the beach and she, and he's like, uh, you know, she's asking, why are you looking for shares? And he's like, no, I'm just looking. And it's just so playfully Sean. But I do, <laughs> I do dig um, Goldfinger. I dig Goldfinger for um as sean as bond i dig goldfinger for odd job i have i am a, a guy who um of the many attempts uh, i have had of wearing hats and i say attempts um because certain hats just don't work with me i love fedoras and granted that of course odd job wears a top hat but the idea of taking your hat and flinging it and causing a statue's head to you know fall off i was like this is love. Um, so I am very much into uh, into it because of that. And again, like I said, in terms of the idea of the 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 girl who you know is just covered in in gold, um, it's I think it's one of the reasons why I when we reached to Pierce, that one movie really annoys me because it really tried to do and I don't know if it was because it was the 40th anniversary or whatever but it really tried to do Dr. No and a couple of other films as that particular movie but Goldfinger is my is my favorite Sean um, and my not favorite Sean is Never Say Never Again I don't know what the hell that was but it apparently came out and I had to sit down and watch it and I was really annoyed so yeah. Uh, so, Ricardo, um, best and worst, Sean. Yeah, um, similar to Tracy. Goldfinger, the best, the worst, never seen of it again. Um, there's this sequence with domination. It is so stupid. <laughs> what? <laughs> it is by far the stupidest thing you'll see in a Bond movie. They, they, they play in this video game and oh, they get electric oh, shots. And the two of them, like, this is, this, is, this is all the bad guy, the good guy, you know, with a, uh, with a cheap 70s arcade game. It is so <laughs> oh, oh god. Yeah. All right. Well, well. To be fair, I still haven't seen Never Seen Never Again. I was supposed to watch it in preparation for this, but uh, time. So you're not. No, I'm hearing don't about this. Don't you not missing anything? You don't see it. You're not missing anything. Okay. Best. Best. Performance Thunderbolt. That's basically. Yeah. That's pretty much it. Yeah. Um. Best one. Best one is yeah. Goldfinger. Goldfinger is the one. It's the archetype. It's the the paradigm. It's the one that shape everything. Um. Yeah. A lot of it does hold up, but again, it's it. As with the entire James Bond franchise, it is a product of its time. Um, but it, uh, it's still, a lot of it works and does hold up, to be fair. Um, and it just works, the, the iconic look and feel, you know, gold, gold, gold woman dead in bed, um, you know, great villain. 
you know, you know, you're getting shaken nuts stirred for the first time, if I remember correctly. And yeah, it, it just works. Um, number one, yeah, best best Sean is Goldfinger. Worst is never seen ever again. All right, and um, you know, as as we see, did you know best for last for you with um Ricardo? Uh, just mentioning briefly, uh, on a match's secret service, which you know you said Ricardo is one of your top five, right? Um, you know, what I mean, just coming right after um, you only live twice, right? Because yeah. you know, at the time Connery was just sort of fed up, and you know, there was just a bunch of chicanery behind the scenes, um, right. involving him and the producers, right? But yeah, um, I I took the opportunity to rewatch it though, and I do understand and respect its place as far as one degree it's in my opinion um it does suffer from peace i think the, the big issue really is the piecing of it this right. movie is like about two hours and 20 minutes long there's like a huge chunk in the middle which i felt was just like padding um but other than that though i just love the fact that you know it was them you know the the producers kind of going back to the b6 with the the the, the bond um with the character james bond right. um giving him a lead that he actually falls in love with it actually wants to yeah. you know eventually marry right um right. and you know we see blowfield uh, blowfell sorry played by telly savalas right, right. That's, a big, that's a big factor that's a big factor yeah. that's a why i like this film mm-hmm. because of telly savalas. big, big yeah, yeah, yeah. and it, it really works he really works in this and I think if I'm not mistaken, this is the, the first time where we have the villain with the physical defect. Because yes, he didn't have earlobes, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but really, but I think the third act is fantastic too. Because that's where they yeah. amp up all the action everything like that. Yeah. Um, just quite excellent, you know. But really, yeah, why, why, why it works so well for me is that it's it's a product it's time is 1969 but it feels well, six, really, yeah uh six, it feels, yeah, 69 69 yeah it feels really serious like it feels deadly serious like it wait, does. Oh, like it yeah. just it's like more like a lacay story than a than a bond story like yeah. it, it feels more like that like a john and, and even the way how lazabi plays bond is just like yeah it's true this is not a bond film this is something else it feels totally like, different you though you don't feel you don't feel like any kind of sexy type or anything like that it's just like straightforward no nonsense that's how it felt at least to me um it, it i i think a lot of that film works in my opinion yeah yeah and then well for me what really makes it work too is that endo um it's still a gut punch boy and when i saw it again i felt it i really felt it because yeah like immediately right after he gets married specter comes and murders well you know um yeah. does a drive-by now yeah and his wife gets killed yeah and the movie ends like that too is, you is know what yeah, it's, it's, it's South Central, Ali. I mean, she just, yeah. just run up on she. Yeah, no, that, yeah. that's, that's, and, that's and like... the last line where, you know, yeah. where, where the police come, where the, the guy and the, the police, the cop, sorry, on the bike shows up and, you know, is she okay? It's like, no, she's sleeping. Everything's okay. We have all the time in the world, by which, you know, harkens back to the Louis Armstrong song that was, you know, yeah. for, for this movie. Yeah, boy, it's just such a gut punch of an end. Though. Actually, yeah. a really bold way to end it. And, and last thing I'll see here, it's clearly an inspiration to you know for the conclusion of um of Casino Royale. Like I have a right. feeling that yeah, the ending of that movie got it was inspired yeah, it, heavily it, it, by it the end of this. It influenced a ton of films. Um, you know, just just the mere fact they decide to go bold with it with that kind of ending. If I remember correctly, it influenced Inception, <laughs> which is like oh, yeah, kind of, yeah, kind of interesting. <laughs> but yeah, that makes sense. Mm. However, uh, yeah, yeah, it's easily one of my favorite, not my personal favorite um Bond film, but like it's up there. Right, right, right. Um, I don't know if you guys have anything else quickly to weigh on on um on on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Not, not particularly. George is George is one of those actors who I I have no no, no memory, no thought where he's concerned. So I'm like, good on him, but like you know, good on that particular outing. But it wasn't one of those um, that I kind of raved at or anything of the sort. 
Okay. Yeah, I, th- I think it's a film I respect more than I like. Like, I really like, because it feels like, if given the given how the hit the spy genre pre Bond used to be a lot more Hitchcock, and then this is the only feels like it's kind of trying to go back to a more serious, dramatic, like almost Hitchcockian Bond film. Right. Yeah. Which I appreciate, even if I find the execution like it's a, it, I I mean you know me I will always like especially given my current frustrations with Bond I, I appreciate anyone who's like we're gonna try and reinvent the franchise in a pretty radical way so but. I feel like the execution is just very slow in a way that's difficult to keep me like invested and on board with what's right. going on. Like, well, like, that's, that's understandable. Um, I, I don't know. For me, it was at the time, and this is was this is a time when I was a more serious business person when it comes to pacing. To me, it was like, no, slow pacing means serious and you know introspective. That's how I interpret right. it. But no, it, it's, it's just bad pacing. Let us be, it, it is a flaw of the film. I admit that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like I said, it's slow pacing, yeah. I yeah. feel like it would, for me, it would probably be like one of the best if, like, there was like a tighter, leaner cut of it. But like, right, like if there right. was a tighter, leaner cut of it, it would probably be one of my favorites. But as it is, I, I kind of, I, I respect it more than I like it at this point. I think. All right, um, Alice. I don't know if you have anything quickly to say about um, Unimagined Secret Service. Um. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's easily like could be a, a special mention for me. Because um, and it's also one of the the bonds the bond films that actually stays as close to possible to the actual Ian Fleming novel. Um, in terms of George Lazenby, um, he felt a, a bit awkward in the role. You could see that he was a bit awkward in the role. I mean, he was a model to an actor, so he's not gonna have like you know any big sort of special skill set. But he did try very very hard with the role. Um, it's just, I'm sorry, in terms of his face, he was not the most attractive Bond because he kind of looked like his face was made up with different parts of other people. I'm sorry, but I just thought it, it me, he, as a Bond, you need to be kind of like, not drop dead gorgeous, but have like these chisels kind of features and physically he just didn't do it for me, but he was super tall though. Um, oh yeah, he was. Yeah. And... Diana Rigg is easily one of my favorite Bond girls, and oh yeah, she, she was great in this. Yeah, yeah, and she's actually she was actually one of my favorite actresses. Rest her soul. Um, the the whole um ending scene, I agree with you. Um, I saw it again, and I was like, oh yeah, literally, you feel like somebody punching her guts because, and she died so horribly too because it was just instantaneous. It wasn't like she was able to say goodbye my darling with her with her last breath or anything it was just like bam shot to the head and that was it and he was just sh- so shocked and then that last line is like yeah it was very traumatic i should say but yeah, yeah it, it has its place in the 007 history so we should always be sure to mention it agreed agreed Right, so uh, just running through best and worst Roger Moore. Um, for me, my favorite is the spy who loved me. Right, um, I mean, this was for me where the Roger Moore formula of the of the franchise worked. Um, it embraced camp, but I felt like it was light, uh, light camp in my opinion. Though uh, it's even right down to the conclusion of this this henchman named Jaws. I mean, 
jaws, right? You <laughs> be this guy with metal teeth, though. And somehow they made it work, though. So, like, yes, he was part goofy and whatnot, but he still felt like a threat, right? Um, Roger Moore really filled into his shoes with this one, though. Uh, like I said, the team song was great. The opening sequence, though, with him just skiing off the cliff and you just seeing this this one this this shot the of just him falling over and then he um let's go of the the let's out the, the parachute the city union jack though is just so mind-blowing it is like i imagine like if i was in you know in cinemas uh back when it came out though i i'd be one if you want the many people just stand up and just cheer i mean it's just such a brilliant <laughs> moment um but yeah, boy. Um, so, and you know, for me, it's just it's just the 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 bond elements just tweaked and just improved in all the right ways, though. And most importantly, though, it just embraces the fact that yeah, we you know we having fun. You know, we're not really taking ourselves too seriously. You know what I mean? Um, and yeah, it, it just it just worked. It just totally worked, right? Now, as far as worst play, uh, 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 sorry guys, but I have to make this a tie. Reason being is because I just could not decide which one. I, 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 despise sorry i just didn't care for more right so i have the man with the golden gun and a view to a kill up there yes i know they're the two easiest yeah. ones because they're the weakest of the roger moore films right but for so me you with don't, the you the don't golden like gun, the, um, the, the 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 nipple the the, the, um, the prosthetic nipple and and that kind of stuff yeah, I that, now i was gonna get that though like you have Christopher Lee, the iconic Christopher Lee, I... as this guy with a third nipple and uh, an island with a laser that's powered by solar energy. And, um, you know, you have the plane, the plane, you have, you know, home, um, you know, knickknack, that character. And it was just all this right, squandered right. opportunity, don't you? Just waste it on, oh, you know what I mean? And in this case, this was where they tried to make Roger Moore look and act like like sean connery and it just didn't work at all right. man you know that's the most gentleman you have him like all tough and rugged it's like no yeah that's the most noticeable mm-hmm. thing about that film like yeah like you just seriously yeah and you know like i said before i i just could not care for the theme song at all <laughs> sorry ricardo i just i just didn't but yeah boy, this was just squandered opportunity here boy. and then it was even worse now with um a view to kill now in 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 retrospect, I mean, you could understand like, okay, well, I mean, Roger Moore was like what fifty eight or whatever when he did this, so okay, like it, he he not gonna be as lean as he was back then. I I get that, but but still, concept wise, it it just didn't work for me. You have Paul Christopher Walken just being this evil tech guy who wants to like destroy Silicon Valley for reasons and this is long subplot involving like microchips and horses and steroids and that that even that itself went nowhere for me uh in my opinion though and it was just like okay we, we trying to fit the 70s bond in the mid 80s and then work um the, the we said poor Grace, Grace Jones in this I felt we could have got more out of it we could have got more out of uh Christopher Walken um Tanya Roberts uh, as you know, Bond Gill, eh, I guess. And Roger Moore really, really tried. I'll, I'll give him that. He really tried, though. But if, if I could just pick one good thing about this this movie, though, is the team. Like, I actually think that the, the, the team is, 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 isn't half bad, man. It, it's very, very, very mid-80s. You know what I mean? The Duran Duran song. Um, but it fits, though. And I actually like that. Dance to the fire. Like, just that section <laughs> works for me. There's something about it, right? But yeah, I have those two as, you know, these favorites. Uh, Ricardo, um, best and worst, uh, Roger Moore. Right. So, yes, I happen to agree. Um, 
you know, even though I'm super biased towards it, I can't give it the best of the Roger Moore films. So yes, uh, my favorite Roger Moore film is, as you put it, um, Spy Love Me. Um, nice. Yes, it yeah, it it works. It's one of the better. It's very sleek. Um, solid villains. Yeah, best of the Roger Moore ever. The worst is Man of the Golden Gun. Um, colossal waste. Like it's it because why it suffers is not it. It's not it. You know, it's one of those hey. This is not the objective worst thing, but it's just such a wasted, squandered opportunity. I mean, how you could waste Christopher Lee? Great premise. Thank you. Yeah. Great. It's a great. I think it's a great premise. At least for a Bond okay. film, where where you have this really silly idea of oh, this man who's so weird and off off off, off the cuff, and that kind of thing. But that's everything. Just I mean, some of the worst executions you could find. Um, out there. Well, and by uh, the way, yeah. even his his death to know like. That yeah, was just so bland. It's it was just like nothing, all this build-up, like oh, the 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 most skilled sharpshooter assassin. Just one shot. That yeah. Yeah, nothing. Um, another film I would want to put on the list, but I I I, I, don't, I find it, it was just so over the top and didn't work at all. Um, uh, but they, some people seem to like it, which is uh, Moonraker. I find Moonraker just felt so off. Um, uh-huh. but nah, <laughs> uh, Golden Gun still was. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, Alice Besson was uh Roger Moore. Um, coincidentally, the, the, now it's going to be three of us that's going to say the spy who loved me. Um, nice. Yes, I, I totally agree with what you guys said. Um, Roger Moore has found his stride. He made the, the character his own. Um, I particularly love Barbara Barker's Anya Amasova, mm, the uh, mm. KGB agent. The two of them yeah, have very me. good, yes, they have very good chemistry during the movie. And I, I even like the little um, little tension that that's created there because Bond actually kills the love of her life, so they have to work together. But she she hates him because he killed the love of her life, right? So I love that little um, tension in between there. And by the end of it, you know, um, she well, she doesn't kill him obviously, um, and yes, the spy who loved me is also gonna make it on my um top one themes as well too um i even liked the look of the movie because um they had some very picturesque places like the film scenes that they filmed in italy and egypt yes uh, i yes. don't know yeah that scene in egypt uh, it was really fantastic the kind of light show um that they had i think it, that was where they first met jaws i'm not too sure um yeah. again Jaws, um, a very, very memorable Bond villain. Uh, this guy with, with the metal teeth and yeah. mm-hmm. larger than life and, and scary to it. Um, I, I do have to make a special mention, though, in terms of favorite Roger Moore's For Your Eyes Only. I have a very special mm-hmm. place in my heart for that movie because I really um, like the, the Bond girl from that one. And I also I also like the story. I like the plot a lot. It reminds me of one of those over the top romance novels, revenge kind of thing. So special mention to for your eyes only. Um, my worst Roger Moore, the man with the golden gun. We're in agreement with all of that. Yes. Uh, they tried uh. to make Roger Moore something that he wasn't, and he felt very stiff and, and robotic in in this role. And um, also, we agree, wasted opportunity with somebody like Christopher Lee. For goodness sake, the man played one of the best Draculas on screen for the Hammer Horrors. Yep, yep, yep. You can't take somebody like that. You could have done made him into a 
a more horrific, terrifying villain. But no, just somebody with some weird sexual preferences and yes, supposed to be a shark. Yeah, 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 I remember. And and oh, the the big thing, he has a, a third nipple. Is like really, that's all he could come up with. <laughs> I'd rather he had a third eye for goodness sake. But yeah, and a, the wasted character of Nick Knack, uh, it was just like a, a big joke at the end of it, you know. So it really, really fell flat for me. Um, the song, I, I love the singer, love Shirley Bassey, but yeah, it was like she was just relating the the whole movie in in the um, in the lyrics. The lyrics could have been better. All right, so uh, CC best and worst, Roger Moore. So uh, for best, uh, before I get to my actual best, I'm going to make a special. I'm going to make a case, the case for Moonraker. For me, I like Moonraker. If if there was another um, Roger Moore film that I could own, it would probably be Moonraker. Aside from I already own my favorite Roger Moore film, but the reason and the reason is it's it's not so bad. It's good, but that's kind of where I would start to put it because like. It's so <laughs> it's so campy. It's such yeah, a it, it really no, it like, is. It's peak one camp, in my opinion. It's peak one so, camp. I mean, he's second also pause party, did it, right? Well, it's also it's such a it's yes. also a blatant attempt to to like fit a square peg into a round yes, hole, which is correct. oh man, Star yeah. Wars and science right. fiction. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly right. Let's make James Bond Star Wars, and I'm sitting there like. This doesn't work, but watching it not work is so entertaining. Like it's just like <laughs> yeah, right. they're in space and there's a yeah, big yeah. space battle at the end with lasers. I'm like, this is funny. This is and like, I hate too what they did with Jaws in that one, but we're giving them sweet I like that. I love interest. That was cool. I actually like it. I liked it. Yeah, it was dumb. Give it love. Jaws, Jaws having this love interest and then the two of them go and live happily ever after is like. Wonderful. I also love the whole bit where like Jaws turns on the main bad guy because um you know because he's like he's going on about his like race of super people and then he realizes that like in this world Jaws and Jaws's girlfriend do not fit in so Jaws exactly. is like hey, screw you and then like like that's a very fun way to take a henchman for me. But no, my genuine favorite um, Roger Moore is for your eyes only, and the reason I, I... and the yeah. reason. And the reason that it is my favorite is because it is the only, like, we've been talking about what, like, the best old Bond film is. And I would actually say one of them up there is For Your Eyes Only. Because it actually feels, like, I love the opening that has the whole homages to On Her Majesty's Secret Service and, like, giving a little closure, like, he's there in his wife's tomb, his wife's grave. And then, like, they have the whole little thing with Blofeld, even though, goodness, how many times has Blofeld died by this point? Um, (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) <laughs> but like at this point, it's it's like this. It's but like I love how that's the whole pre-title sequence because it feels like this little, oh, okay, that is what happened in the past. We're putting that all behind us and we're moving forward. And so what we end up with is a more slower paced, like we have a slower paced film where like more actually gets to feel like it gets to play this kind of older agent. And I actually like, oh, I'm here for this. This this feels this has this kind of easygoing pace to it um it's got great action though like um i'm not no, normally i'm not the kind of person who enjoys mountain climbing sequences but there's actually a couple really great ones in this film um i like that the main relationship between um moore and the bond girl is not as like 
it's romantic, but not as like quite out there and sexual as some of the other ones, which feels because I know that even more himself at one point, I think at this point, like complained to the producers that he was like, at this point. I am old enough to be most of these girls' father, and I'm supposed right, to be doing right. romance scenes with them. So this feels awkward. So, um, so, so for your eyes only feels like this nice. Like, where the dynamic is, it, there's romance there, and it, it does have that feel of like a romance, of like kind of a a romance novel or kind of that kind of pulp thing. But like, it it's less like sleazy sexual than previous Bond films. And I really, it, 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 it's my second favorite Bond film period, actually. Um, nice. and, it, and it's actually the best film to end the Roger Moore era. The problem is we made two more and that gets to my, to my picks for the worst Roger Moore films, because if Roger Moore had ended with for your eyes only, we would, I think it would have been like one of the best farewells to a Bond actor. But instead, we make Octopussy, which is a mess. Octopussy is a mess. Like, there's not... I, guilty there's, pleasure of mine. But it, it is a mess. It is a mess. Right? Like, for real. Me, me too. Guilty pleasure of mine too. Right. So right. Many, there are so many ideas that film throws at the wall, and I don't know what it's doing with them. And there's that weird bit where Louis Jordan just says, pussy, pussy, over and over again. And I'm like, I don't know where to look. I'm just, like, making eye contact with the ceiling. Just like, I, I, I can't watch this. Uh, and then... Um, it's so, and then like it gets bonkers, and then it's dull, and then it's bonkers, and then and then, as if that wasn't enough, we end with like, we end with a view to a kill, which is so bad. Like a view to a kill is I I said at the beginning that one of my problems with Bond is that it feels like other action like cinema, action cinema, and spy films are all moving faster than the James Bond franchise does. And A View to a Kill is the one where that is the clearest for me. Like, that's that's the film that feels the most kind of awkward because it, because it, because it, like, it's a film at war with itself because here are all these ways in which it's a very 80s spy film, like a very 80s, very, like, um, very 80s spy film with, like, all the trademarks of an 80s spy film until it's a bond film and those two elements don't like gel well with each other and now roger moore is back to having to be like full bond romance stuff and it's still like i think that last shower scene is an absolute crime because he's like they're naked in the shower with this young woman who's like i think no that was the moment i think where the quote came from where he like he hated having to do that last scene with the bond girl in the shower because yeah. he's like because like I'm old enough to be her father. This is really <laughs> yeah, uh, tiny robots. Yeah, really I, I, I hate the I hate Q's robot that spies on oh them. Like it's done for, for for laughs and just like no, that's that's just creepy. So, like stop it, stop it. And there's so many moments throughout the film where like it feels like it, it where the Bond stuff feels creepy, and then the '80s spy stuff is like over the top and excellent, but then not, and then some of it is way too slow. It's it's a film that doesn't quite know what it wants to be, and then it just kind of pitters to an end. And I'm so, and I feel that extra bit of resentment against it because I'm like, the last Bond film could have been for your eyes only, but we made two more, and we're robbed of what should have been a farewell to one of the better 
like I feel like more than Connery, Roger Moore is definitely the Bond actor that I um, like. I enjoy. Like there were yeah. times. Yeah. yeah, I definitely. I find he's he's a lot more charismatic. He's 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 kind of more self aware than Connery. Like right. he's a lot more. Mm. Like he's a little bit more prone to like winking, and I appreciate that about him. It's something that Pierce Brosnan would carry the torch of later. But he's very suave. He's very elegant, and except when they decided not to. Like I also I also don't like Man with a Golden Gun at all. So I'll I'll join in the chorus on that one. Um, mm. But no, just just so no. Favorite and second favorite Bond film, period, um, one of the best spy films, I think, ever, is, um, for your eyes only, uh, honorable mention to Moonraker, but then the two worst are Octopussy and A View to a Kill. Right. Uh, Tracy, just to just close off that part, uh, quickly, uh, best and worst, Roger Moore. Right. Um, so I think we all can, we all agree the spy who loved me, so I'm not even going to go there. That's fine. The spy who loved me is um, the best Roger. Though I will say, because maybe because of, of the, the music, the song and that kind of stuff, I do have a very soft spot for Moonraker and uh, <laughs> well, Bond typing in. Typing in the ET, the ET music theme into the um the security. Oh boy. Oh God. <laughs> oh boy. That was the no, uh, uh, ET, uh, close encounter. Close encounter. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. So 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 the spiral of me is the best, and I will give special mention to Moonraker. For me, the worst. Um, now see, here's the thing. Uh, there are some franchises where I can say the absolute worst. Um, but when it comes to Bond, and, and I was going to say this much earlier on, Bond does this thing for me where it's um, one good film, one one bad film. One Well, not not bad, but one good film, one not so good film, one good film, one not so good film. So even like when we get to our boy next week or when, when we start to talk about him, there's one good film, one meh, one good film, one meh. So for me, your eye, for your eyes only, is the meh. Like I... I did not like Ooh. the opening sequence. <laughs> Damn. I, I did not care for the opening sequence. I did not care for Blofeld falling down uh, 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 a, a chimney. Really? Oh, look, Q shot of cat. It's Blofeld. Right. Okay, so Blofeld is black. No, Blofeld isn't black. So right. you've just, okay, you've ended him. I, I, I accept the, the, the introduction of saying, okay, Mary Bond is gone. And, you know, this is what's happening. I, I, saw him there with agent bb dal and i was like okay so it's baby doll but it's bb dal and and just there are there are certain things that i expect coming out of a, a bond film and i looked at, at for your eyes only and i didn't feel it i didn't i, I the the opening like i said the opening sequence felt like if it was just like a, a sharp cut into something else and as much as I love Sheena Easton, as much as I think she's groovy, even the theme song for me wasn't doing it for me. So I, th- those are my polar things. I love The Spy Who Loved Me. Honorable mention, Moonraker. Um, for Your Eyes Only does not work for me in terms of a Roger Moore film. Um, and yeah, that's it. All right. Um, and just quick mention to, of course, um, nearly Timothy Dalton films, The Living Daylights and Lights is a Kill. Um, you know, as I said earlier, you know, I mean, there's there's two films which I feel work as a double feature. It's these two. I think that they write that the cans down. They make for like the 
definitive um, bond double feature. Um, Could it work so well, you know what I mean, in terms of just updating the formula? Even Timothy Dalton himself was like, look, I want to go back to basics because Roger Moore's films, for better or for worse, kind of became parody, right? So let's go back to what made these things work, right? Um, And Living Daylights was just a a, a great film, you know what I mean? And and it just had some solid action scenes, though. And, you know, know, it had a great, a fantastic follow-up, though, with uh, with the um, License to Kill, which is, you know, the first PG-13 Bond film, right? You don't look at it now, you could see how bold and audacious it was in terms of this, and then people know, yeah, we, we go in deep and dark with this. Um, and I honestly forgot that Michael Kamen actually like did the score for this, and it just fits that whole Lethal Weapon vibe, you know, because of course he did the music for that, right? Where it's like, okay, it's action and sensationalism, but in this world, people can die, and there's consequences, and y'all need to be careful, and bad guys are really bad, you know what I mean? Which is like, you know, a, a trope of, you know, like Lethal Weapon and stuff like that, and just action films of, you know, the late 80s now. So I felt like this film more um, out of, you know, just that's like, you know, other, like, I would say like Daniel Craig films in particular. This one actually understood the era, it understood the time, it understood like, okay, this is the type of film that goes now, let's just take a risk. Even right down to having the villain be a drug kingpin and not just some guy with dreams to take over the world. I love how subtly it uses, you know, bits of elements like, say, Thunderball and stuff like that, where, okay, we're going to use the stuff that the evil bad guys have, but we're just going to do it different in terms of, like, um, laundering money and drugs like that, right? So it works. Um, And Timothy Dalton, though, I felt like he just owned that role, though. He was just... He was just like rootless in this one. You really felt it though. But I like that, you know, it, it does kind of remind you, yeah, it's a Bond film, you know. So even though you have your dark, serious moments, we still have your little fun, over-the-top stuff too, but not too over-the-top as well, right? But yeah, for me, I think Timothy Dalton is easily one, easily the most underrated Bond. I would say him and, you know, um, Lazabita extend though. But for me, what he did here with those two films were just excellent though. And last thing I'll say though, he deserved a third film. He deserved one. Um, he didn't even get that because, you know, um, it took three films for, for, for audiences to really appreciate Sean Connery as James Bond. And Timothy Dalton only had two because, oh, you know what I mean? It was too dark and violent and six and seven-year-olds. Can't, I can't take my six and seven-year-olds to see that. But, like, Sekiro wasn't made for six and seven-year-olds. Like, just saying. So, yeah, honestly, he deserved a, a third film. I would have, like, I just pictured in my mind it had come out, like, in 91, 92, you know what I mean, when, you know, action movies were really hit to the peak, you know what I mean, like, Terminator 2 and stuff like that. And, you know, if it didn't work then, then fine, bring in um, PS afterwards. But, nah, they, 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 they did Timothy Dirty, man. Um, I don't know if you guys agree or disagree. I'm I'm cool with it. Like, the, only, <clears throat> the one that I'm legitimately cool with is License to, License to Kill. I still remember him diving into the boat, um, coming from the sky and diving into the boat and he lands inside the boat. I think it's like the opening sequence and the idea of seeing what what passed for a mobile phone um, back <laughs> there while he's picking it. And it's like, oh my God. And the idea of even his friend, because, um, what is this? What's his name? What's his name? What's his name? Felix. Um, Felix. Like, yeah, Felix, Felix Leiter. The idea of Felix, because it's only now that it, it, it dawns on me how very um, lethal weapon it is in terms of villains doing the mostest. I mean, you have Felix's wife is like, you know, killed and Felix is almost left for dead and all sorts of randomness is happening down in Miami because um, that's where drugs were, you know. Um, I think it's Miami. But it's 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 the idea of that 
that I like. I really didn't care for The Living Daylights. I do not remember it that much. I have a greater memory of License to Kill, and I do dig Timothy Dalton older, like when he's, you know, the head of Gallifrey. Um, that's my Timothy Dalton. You know what I mean? Like that. That's when I I start loving him a little bit more. He gets better with age, kind of like Pierce. But mm. License to Kill was was groovy for what it was. Right. Um, um, I would. Say, I, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. I know, yeah, no, I know uh, this is your favorite. Um, oh yeah. No. Like ever. Right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no. Uh, any, again, anyone who follows me on social media is fully, very much aware, especially after my journey with James Bond, that License to Kill is my favorite Bond film of all time, and it is one of the best spy movies ever made, in my opinion. And I feel like the thing that, because like from and for me that ranking goes License to Kill, For Your Eyes Only. And then followed by Living Daylights and then other spy movies. But like the thing for me that really, because Dalton makes Bond a character. Like he's not a walking, he's not walking one-liners and he's not like just like a self-insert for for, for, uh, the audience. Like Bond is an actual character. And I love how he's like, Dalton gives him this like, this, this this very intense violent streak and he deliberately contrasts the like suave in the casino playing cards whatever with the like ruthless violence and you feel like it's this you know there's this kind of duality that goes there and like none of the other actors before had acknowledged the duality of bond like the kind of guy who can like be absolutely ruthless but then can also like suavely walk into a casino i think it wasn't until craig that that duality was acknowledged ever again and Dalton does the best with that. And License to Kill shows that off the best because it makes it personal. Like, I've been sitting here at this point watching all the Bond films through, and I get to License to Kill, and it's like a shot of adrenaline straight to the arm. I mean, Living Daylights was a little bit of that, and I really like Living Daylights because it's it's a lot of fun. Dalton is fresh and new, and the action is big and exciting. Some of it, it it drags in places, and it's not the most memorable, but it's overall pretty great. But License to Kill is this shot of adrenaline in the arm, and and like the movie's best strength is actually making it personal. Like this isn't a mission Bond is assigned. Yes. This is like, yes. This is a personal thing that he has to go like this is the only the only times i've ever seen bond like get involved in something because like there was like a, a personal element to it like this is this isn't a mission he's coldly assigned to and he even goes rogue from the agency to to pursue his goal which is huge for me like i'm sitting yes. here watching yes. because of the whole british nationalism thing about these films like bond is always first and foremost just queen and country yes I, i'm going to put my feelings aside i'm aware of her majesty's government but then like no, license to kill. He's he's out to avenge his friend. He's out to get this bad guy. And then even when the other agents catch up and are like, Bond, your license to kill is revoked, you know, he he does what he does best and gets away. And then throughout the whole film, even his relationship with the love interest is complicated because like she has to contend with the duality of Bond. She has to do deal with like the suave romantic man one minute, and then like if he thinks he's holding out information, suddenly he gets violent and it feels like it's right. ruthless. And there's that scene where he catches himself, where he's about to like interrogate her for info. And I'm like, Bond has never been this dramatic. Like Bond has never explored this kind of like Bond catching himself about to go too hard on someone. This is the yeah. kind of this is the kind of narrative meat and potatoes I have been waiting for these this right. these films to dive into, and they haven't. So 
and like so license like literally license to kill in just about every conceivable way takes everything i like about bond i mean except for like some of the high camp but then again it would have been out of place here so i don't miss it too much but it's it takes everything i love about bond i feel like you could almost watch for your eyes only living daylights and license to kill is like this trilogy we almost see this like older spy hand over this this title to this younger spy who's got his own issues at least in my head canon that's how it flows but like they work no i just just license to kill works on just about every level i could want and some ways in which i wasn't expecting like of all my my kind of deadened and numbed expectations for a bond film it's actually it actually came and like shook me by the shoulders and like actually like captured my mind and it's it's the one that like if i ever think about rewatching it that's the one that like comes back to me it's the most fun action scenes the pg it earns that pg-13 so hard like there are yes, so many there are so many action scenes in that movie that go hard as only like mid to late 80s pg-13 can and i'm sitting here like oh, oh god like is, is bond gonna actually make it through this like i know there's other ones but this is the last dalton ah like it's just about and like it makes you feel like this world of espionage is actually dangerous and there's actually risks and the villain is you like you you want this guy dead so like on the one hand yeah, you R- want... robert dv or yeah robert oh DV. yeah yeah he's he's, he's 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 a guy you love to hate doing the show. Oh, you, love to hate, you love to hate this guy and like I, lo- I love i love he's played a couple like hero roles too i like him in like maniac cop too but in this he plays such a delightful villain and benicio del toro is his savage henchman oh, yes. <laughs> right yeah right yeah, yeah works yeah. so no license to kill by like a county mile is my favorite of the Bond franchise. And for me, works on just about every conceivable level. And I am so... I was so... We'll get into Brosnan, but for me, I was disappointed that, like, we weren't... We didn't we didn't carry on this trend of, like, making the Bond films more dramatic and more character-driven and more personal. And we kind of went backwards a little bit with 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 Brosnan. But right. yeah, for me, License to Kill, Bond hasn't really, even some of Craig, I would argue, except for one of the Craig films, hasn't really come close to the bar that's been set by License to Kill for me. But yeah, those are my my humble uh, thoughts. Yeah, not, nothing too out there. Just like my my, my thoughts on the subject. All right, and last but not least, uh, P.S. Brosnan, right? So um, I'll keep it short and sweet. Uh, my favorite, obvious, is Ghoul and I, right? Um, Runner-up is, of course, Tomorrow Never Dies, right? I really dug, um, you know, I just love that concept of, you know, this guy who's basically seeing tomorrow's news today, and he's just manipulating yeah. all these things just to sell peoples, right? I mean, it's it's bigger than that, but that's how it sells, right? Um, Michelle Yeoh in that film was fantastic. He got some great action scenes from it. I love how she kind of stood her ground with Bonds. It's like, oh, you're trying to hit on me? All right, look, wait until the job is done. And then maybe you might have a chance, right? Which happens, right? But yeah, Golden Eye literally was just like the the, the franchise just kickstarting uh, for the 90s, though it embraced the mid 90s uh, summer blockbuster isms, basically. But well, I guess it came out in summer, I assume, right? Or whatever, right? Um, yeah, and I mean, it was, I mean, for one thing, um, it was just a newborn, it was just bigger, louder. 
Um, they took risk as well too, even right, you know, um, case in point, um, you know, um, on a top, you know, <laughs> one of the most memorable uh, Bond, Bond dealers, right, for better for Yeah, Jean right? Grey one, yeah. Yeah, Jean with Grey. Her you know? thighs, <laughs> with her thighs. Yeah, with her ties, with her ties, right, which I remember for the time, I was like, oh my God, are we doing this? You know what I mean? But yeah, they did it, right? Uh, we, we, we got a great video game out of it, for one thing, one of the greatest video games of all time, hands yeah. down. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, well greatest, well, what greatest, what? one of the greatest console shooters of all time. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Okay. Yes. Wow. You're right. You're right. Not, not the greatest, mind you. Shooter, Sorry. Okay. Shooters on console. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, and, uh, and for me personally, I, you know, like I will admit, it's not the best Bond film ever. Like I'm not seeing that, right? But in terms of, okay, it's a new decade. Let's see how we could update this thing while giving you the goods. Let's let's make you all believe in this in this hero again. Um, let's make him relevant somewhat in, in this decade. I, I thought that it would here, right? Um, as far as the worst, well, I should say least favorite. Um, because you know, I could kind of watch it, you know what I mean, if I feel like to if, if I feel like it, or maybe if I just have like two, three drinks in me, uh die another day. Um, yeah, this this was what really Almost, I should say, kill the, the the Bond franchise, and this was where the you know in terms of updating the formula, they just did any worse ways because yeah, we have to do post Matrix early two thousands action cinema, so everything uh, has to be big and grandiose and loud and all that kind of stuff. It's even right down to the point when you watch it again, and it's so detailed, it's laughable, dread. They do the whole sped up and the, the whole speed up the image. Uh, sorry, the the um the video and then slow it down to make it all stylized and shit and. It like it have moments where it happens, and I just like roll my eyes like, ugh, like like y'all really thought this would do, y'all really thought this this was a cool thing, um, and I mean like the concept like it starts off pretty well, eh? Don't get me wrong, eh? Um, but I would say from the moment they hit Iceland, boy, that's when everything just went downhill, <laughs> boy. It was the ice mansion or whatever it is that the villain was in. It was the reveal of who the villain was. Okay. It was him kite surfing over a tsunami with this <laughs> giant laser that yeah. you know it was it was like understand, understand the era bigger is supposed to be better, but oh gosh man, don't don't do don't do James Bond that especially don't do Pierce Brosnan that man, you know what I mean? So yeah, wait, this this was what really like killed the franchise for me, though. And then of course we got, you know, the the worst um Bond team out of it, right? And then of course you had the nerve to 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 to, to shoehorn Madonna in it because I mean it's Madonna, of course she needed to be in this movie, right? It's like she's a central sure. character, like what she was in, in friggin' Dick Tracy back in nineteen ninety, right? But hey, it is what it is, right? Uh Tracy, best and worst Pierce Brosnan. Right. Okay, so Let's start with the worst. Um, because we all have feelings, like legit feelings for, or about, I should say, die another day, I'm going to revert to my second not favorite um, Pierce, which is The World Is Not Enough. Ah, uh, okay, okay, okay. Someone actually picks it. Nice. This, this, was my, this was my dishonorable mention, you know? The thing, with, the, the thing with The World Is Not Enough is that there are two things that, that 
got me really happy um, in terms of going into the film. It is the theme from, what is it, Garbage? The theme from Garbage, where yeah. they do the whole robot bomb exploding people thing. That was great. And there's, you know, okay, so there are things... Oh, by the way, speaking of that, that theme, I, I, I always found it the most underwhelming, one of the most underwhelming songs. Underwhelming. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like I should like it, but I just hear it, and I'm just like, no, it, it just feels like like a, like a like garbage doing a version of, like, you know, a 70s Bond film, um, Bond team, in my opinion. This... It, I don't know, it, it just kind of lacks something. It lacks a bit of um, Gossel, not originality, a lot of character. It's just like, we're, we're going to do like what, you know, um, the the older um, songs, how they sounded like, we're going to try to do that. And I don't know, it just didn't work for me. But yeah, go on. The, 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 so like, I agree with you. Um, in terms of the theme, the theme is one of those things where if I'm, if I'm listening to it or if I cue it up, like if I cue it up now, I will listen to it and like it. Yay, that's nice. Um, and like I said, it did get me a little. It got me. It got me excited to see, to you know, dive into to the world is not enough. But the trailer, because I, what I was about to say is like there are things about Bond films that I actually like, um, that sticks with you. And there is this. There's this line that 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 stays with me. There's this line that says, um, and these are not the exact words, but it's along the lines of. As we head into, because I'm seeing the clock going down, as we head into the new millennium, you know, there's only one name that you can be sure of, and they do this montage with everybody calling Bond's name. It's the girl, it's it's M, it's 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 Q. Everybody's saying Bond, Bond, and I was like, mm, I, I there, there's that, yeah. there's a hype. I do not need Doctor Christmas Jones. I don't. I no, think no, Robert, no, nobody asks for Christmas. Nobody yeah, for really needs Doctor Christmas Jones. Is he one of the worst Bond girls in my opinion? I just, I just, like, one you know, I, you know, I've heard all, all, all the Christmas jokes. So spare me. I was like, all right, um, I, I, I have a, I like Robert Carlyle, and I like Robert Carlyle a lot more in the Once Upon a Time days. To be honest, as Rumble Silskin, and I like the idea of a, of the villain who is, you know, he has the 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 bullet lodged in his brain, and we can't operate on it. So because of that, he's. You know, he yeah. doesn't feel pain, but I just, yeah. I, it just didn't gel for me the way how I wanted it to. And this is a movie, like, it has all this stuff. It has the gadgets, it has the the over-the-top villain, it has the very gorgeous Bond girl, Bond girls, because, I mean, even the, the one of the girls he, he was with turns out to be the villainess of this story. Which and, I hate. You know, and I just, Electra, her name is Electra. And um, I still didn't care for it. So there's that. Um, in terms of my favorite, now I, 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 I do still, especially like if I'm in a line, might find my brain saying things like, wait your turn, um, in that weird Russian-esque accent that Famke Johnson was doing for GoldenEye. Mm. Um, oh, I thought you were going to see the, 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 um, the other actress who was in it. Oh, no, uh, gosh. Uh, Especially like when you say, um, you're, you're, you're like boys with toys. <laughs> oh, um, the, the, the actual scientist. Yeah. Um, so I, uh, I, I, Isabella Skorupko, that's her real name. Yeah. There you go. So I like, I like GoldenEye and I like the, the certain things about GoldenEye, but the one that I really and truly fall for is Tomorrow Never Dies. Because nice. it's, for me, even today, the idea of a medium mogul who wants to create the news and therefore he is 
aligned with people who are who are evil, um, who is uh, as evil as he is, in order to create a world where he yeah. can be on top. It feels strangely 2021. It yes. feels like this uh, is a real yes. thing. I thought it was a very prescient movie. It, it, yes. I just, very prescient movie. And, 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 and the opening, now, you all know how I feel about the actual song. So the opening, the opening sequence where everybody's sitting down there and they think that Bond is dead and, or, you know, what, black, black, Black Knight to White Knight, what's going on? And they can't find him because he's dead. And he's just there with this one rifle. I mean, I know, I know, but he's just there with this one rifle, just shooting everybody down and blowing the entire arms bazaar to smithereens. And then boom, jumps out, gets on on a on a on a on a on a plane, on a on a one of those crafts, dodges the torpedo and lives. Q Cheryl Crow, tomorrow never dies. I, you know, and that was the age when, you know, um, Terry Hatcher was doing Lois and Clark. And I mean, I was, oh, for real. I was into, <laughs> that was my Friday night. Yeah, she's in the show. Wow. Yeah, she was great to this. She was joy. So, and that was my Friday nights on TV6 because it was um, uh, Lois and Clark. And then I think Buffy or Buffy and Lois and Clark, one out of the two. But the point <laughs> is, Raven. they were, <laughs> it was, it was a thing. So that, Tomorrow Never Dies is my peak, um, is my peak Pierce, um, and I, 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 I legitimately will, you know, I could watch that like right now and still be very happy about it. The world is not enough, and clearly, um, Die Another Day because everything in Die Another Day, Die Another Day, and I'll say this really quick is is feels like okay because this is. And I feel, and I feel it might have been the 40th anniversary or something, because they tried to do way too many throwbacks. So here is Ursula Andres coming out of the water with the dagger at her side. Here's Halle Berry coming out of the water with the dagger at her side. Here is the same laser that is, you know, coming at 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 James in, in uh, Goldfinger. And even and even Halle Berry's oh. character makes that reference too in her dialogue. Yeah. I'm like, what? Jinx yeah. is Jinx as a character. I I. I I I don't feel Jinx. I get Jinx, but I don't. But that's Halle Berry's character. I get Jinx. I just don't feel Jinx. So Die Another Day has had its moments, and then of course Madonna as a fencing instructor who's talking about keeping their tip up, and uh, you know, yeah. we, yeah. no. <laughs> so, but everybody in this room feels that way about Die Another Day. So the second worst for me is in terms of Pierce, is the world is not enough. And that's it. Right. Okay. Uh, Alice, uh, best and worst, Pierce. Um, my favorite, um, Pierce is actually Tomorrow Never Dies. Um, aye, aye. Yeah. For the same, a lot of the same reasons that you guys mentioned. Um, as a villain, somebody who uses their media platform to manipulate the news and manipulate the outcome of the future. I mean, a lot of people do that right now, right? Use social media platforms to cause fights and possibly world wars and, and contention and strife, right? So it's like a foreshadowing of the future. Um, bon, bon Girl, one of my favorites, Michelle Yeoh. And yep. yeah, it was a refreshing take. She didn't just sleep with, with Brosnan the first time she met him, fall head over heels. And she was like her, almost his equal in terms of Bond Girls. She was, she was clearly like, more competent than him. Yeah. That's like, true, yeah. True. Yes, that's true. In a lot of cases, she was more competent than he was. 
Um, Terry Hatcher, one of my favorite actresses as well, too. Um, a little tidbit for you guys. Uh, she was actually pregnant while she was filming Tomorrow Never Dies. Oh, she was getting that. sick often on the set, and Brosnan kind of lost his temper and patience a few times with her because of that. Because she was suffering with modern sickness a lot. Yeah, yeah. I understand. Yeah. Oh, that yeah. sucks. Yeah, yeah. So he was a bit mean is one of the reasons why I don't really run at Brosnan too much because he kind of doesn't have patience. That, that's not the only actress that kind of complained about him not having patience for them on set, by the way. Yeah. Um, I wonder if it was because of how he how he had the, ch- the, the chance to be to replace um, Roger Moore, but you know, contract is used now. So maybe he's just like, yeah. you know, I wait, oh, wait so long to be bond. So yeah, because he was contracted to Robinson Steel, exactly. Yeah, to Robinson Steel. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, special uh, what, what mention about, oh, sorry. to Golan Special mention to Golan Eye because it's my second favorite. Right. Um, uh, what about what about what's your what's your worst? Worst is Dan already hands down. Yep. Um, yep, yep. It was over the top, ridiculous scripting. Like you said, that scene where he was riding the tsunami, totally ridiculous. Um, also has one of my least favorite bundles, Halle Berry. I love Halle Berry as an actress, but as Jinx, like Tracy mentioned, terrible. The character was so less empty carbon copy paste whatever it is yes they tried to mimic the scene of ursula andres and dr no and that failed miserably so yeah they tried to copy so many things including uh, diamonds are forever with the big satellite created with the reflection of the yeah. diamonds mm-hmm. yeah um only thing i found what was kind of cool was the look of now forgive me i don't remember his name but the, the korean actor wendy um when the, oh, the kind of um, diamond shackles, yeah, yes. was on his on his, on his uh, cheek. That, like yes. look at it. Like I watched it. I actually watched over the end of the day. Yes, I know, right? Um, yes. I actually thought that that was a really like smart, um, you know, designer. Actually, oh, sorry, yeah. uh, pizza uh, makeup actually. Yes, yes, I agree with you totally. I, I, I love that part, that look of it. Um, in terms of villain, I thought that the villain was very underwhelming for me. Because from the beginning, he just seemed like a little spoiled child stomping his feet at his father, who was a Korean general. Yeah. Didn't you like, get that I, impression? I, I, I to- yeah, that's what, that's, what, that's what I agree in. Yes, yes. Yeah. It's just like a little spoiled child, like, well, oh, my father never listens to me, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> it's like, okay, wine, wine, wine. You finish whining, and then you, you, the first chance you get, you go and you turn your face into the same people that you despise, the white people. Yeah, for, for reasons, eh? For reasons. For reasons. For reasons. Okay, <laughs> turn yourself into a Latino or something else or another Asian-looking something, but really? Yeah. I know you have to spend the rest of your life looking like a white man, the same people that you despise, right? It's just, I don't know. The, nothing we've thought about that movie, not even... um. The the MI six agents that were that turned out to be the villain working for 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 him. Frost. Or Rosamund Pike, I Rosamund hated Pike. that decision. Like my yes. God! And then what? Why watch over? I realized, wait, he like the bad guy bought her over, you know? Kind of mm-hmm. like okay, how she could switch sides? No, it's because he 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 bought her over. He, yes. he like flat out says he bought her out. They yeah, were what? they were they were in 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 university or something together, and she was supposed to be the second. Why do I know all these things? She was supposed to be the second. <laughs> <person>. <laughs> yeah, 
like the champ defending champion, but yes, James yeah, Stephen yeah, and yeah, he yeah. Yeah, yeah. was the one who actually kind of like I don't know if he killed the other person or something. Basically, he's one that, bad that, for that, that helped her get her. So yeah, you know, done, he was done bad for oh her. God, you know, right. My my whole thing with Gustav as a random thing is that there is there is a, a modern day Gustav now, and he is trying to live in space. So whenever you know, I think Oops. of that. I just like yeah, okay. Learns. <laughs> yes. Oh no, yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Uh, um, in terms of, well, just one yeah. other little special mention, uh-huh. as you guys were talking about just now, um, Matt, um, the film that you all were hated on, the world is not enough. Um, I kind of sort of like it because um, here's the thing: I do agree with you that Denise Richards is. Terrible, terrible, terrible casting and everything, and she has the personality of a wet blanket, right? And and the ending scene where they were showing you the infrared of the two of them, yes, totally ridiculous. <sighs> but um, I loved like Tracy was saying the 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 aspect of the villain with the bullet in his head, and he can't feel any sort of pain or anything like that. But yeah. I kind of loved love the twist uh, that you didn't see coming and i remember the first time seeing that movie and i didn't see that twist coming that electra sophia Maso was the actual villain who was actually ruling the the villain who they, who was accused of kidnapping her i kind of enjoyed that twist and i could understand why she ended up kind of psychotic in the head for okay. want of a better word you know so uh, that aspect the of, of the plot i i kind of enjoy so it's kind of on my guilty pleasures list but i do agree with the points that you all made about denise richards and and so on but i think at that time it really looked like brosnan was kind of losing his team because he really didn't look like he was in into into that one into the movie like maybe he was getting a bit tired of the franchise at that point i believe so, right, yeah, that's, that's just and, my opinion. Yeah. And, and who could blame him at this point, right? Exactly. Uh, so two more to go. Uh, Ricardo, best and worst fierce person. Uh, yeah, um, best fierce, in my opinion, is Tomorrow Never Dies. I actually really like this movie. Again, all right, all right. you know, it doing, it doing the whole Rupert Murdoch thing. And yeah, I, I thought they just, they just need that premise. And as, um, what's his name? Where was the actor boy? The Pope himself. Um, gosh, what's his oh, name? Or Jonathan Price. Jonathan Price, yeah, I thought he was yeah. great as the villain because he's like it's like a mix between Rupert Murdoch, but a little bit of Steve Jobs kind of going on. Yeah, I like that. I like the weird nerdy nerd villains that are trying to be intimidated. He's he's a he's a kind of a goofball, you know. If you try to punch body, he'll break his hand, right? I like villains like that. <laughs> um, then yeah, I, I, yeah, movie great action. Michelle Yao kicks so much ass in this. I love it. Um, oh, Terry Hatcher right. was great in this. Um, yeah, just I think and the, the core the core thing that sold it was the premise, like. I just, just like, wait, that is the idea. That's such a really clever idea because it, it on the one end, feels seemingly quite plausible even back then um, and definitely now. And then, but it also felt over the top and ridiculous like a Bond plot. So that's why I really appreciated it in, in that way. Um, right. And I forgot to mention, we keep forgetting it um, in terms of Tomorrow Never Dies, Moby's version of the James Bond team. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, he was right. I fucks with yeah. that. i sorry. Yeah. I just fucks with that, right? But yeah, um, what, what's your words? Right, worse is, is as, as call it, as make the joke, me and my friends used to make the joke, fed up all the world, right? The world is not enough. <laughs> oh my God, yeah. 
Yeah, the world is not enough. Here's the thing. All the shit you can give GoldenEye, GoldenEye just had a, a, a kind of goofy charm to it that I could re- I remember it. I barely remember what is not enough. It just, when I, it's only when you guys had to mention it, it's like, oh yeah, that bullshit wasn't it. And that forgettable nonsense wasn't it. And look, I, I, I love I just, what, remember, I just remember there was there was stuff that took place in the opening sequence and that. Right, that's that it. 20 yeah, minutes, the, that, that's opening, all. The opening sequence is pretty cool with that black boat thing, that little baby black boat he was driving around mm-hmm. in. It's like, oh, that, that kind of pretty cool. Um, I like Robert Carlyle, you know, you know, my favorite character is his character in, in Star Trek Universe, you know. I, I like the actor, love the dude, but it just, just didn't fit or work for me. It it was just bland and forgettable. It mm-hmm. it had a look decent enough script, but just too much dumbness for it to, for it to not be enjoyable and then taking itself too seriously. So so I can't remember it. It was just in, the, in that 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 uncanny valley of of bad bond of just too serious and then too silly at the same time. It it, it very little of it worked, and I just barely remember it. Um, yeah. So well, there's nothing enough is my 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 least. All right, and last but not least, CC, just to close things off, best right. and worst appears. So, like, best for me is actually, I mean, again, needing to rewatch GoldenEye, but putting it to the side. But, like, I'm kind of tied between World is Not Enough and Tomorrow Never Dies because, like, they really do balance out for me as far as, like, like, there's a lot of things I like about one that I also like about the other. There's some that some, the one does better, but other things the other does better. Like, I do... Michelle Yao is a, is a point all to herself and like how much I like um, the world. Is it world? world Tomorrow Never Dies. Yeah, 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 right. Tomorrow Never Dies. Because like she finally delivers on the... Because like up, even as early as Connery, um, the films have been teasing or like trying to develop the idea of like a female agent who can keep up with Bond. Right. And like they tease the idea. And, and even like my big frustration with From Russia With Love not from Russia with love. Um, the spy who loved me is that mm. we have this is that we tease like a female agent who's like the equivalent and has got like her personal connections with Bond, and yet we still find the time to make like woman driver jokes, whatever. But finally, yeah. with Tomorrow Never Dies, we finally have a female agent who is Bond's equal and can keep up with him. And Michelle Yao, uh, Michelle, I don't, I could watch anything Michelle 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 Yao has been in. Like yeah. she's she's just absolutely amazing. She carries the movie. Agreed. Yep. almost like single-handedly and she is absolutely fantastic um and as like and not not a bond girl but like another agent it's like yeah, exactly. such a delightful upgrade and it, it makes the movie really great for me i mean and it's so it's no surprise that the worst for me is die another day and i feel like Ta-da. <laughs> rather than just say yet again i don't like tomorrow i for me specifically right because i there was this weird period in like the mid to late 90s and early 2000s when we were really getting into like retro pulp, like it's very odd, yeah. but you had things like the shadow and the phantom and rocketeer, which I all love. And right. a couple, I think Indiana Jones had a lot to do with this, but there was this whole, like let's take genre fiction and pulp and pulpy filmmaking back to the, like it's inception. Like, let's, let's make period films. Let's go back to like the earlier pulpier stuff. But for some reason, when Bond does it, I think it's because it's too married to the access of not just 90s action, but like early 2000s action. It's like like you're saying, Matthew, like it it first and foremost, it's a loud, bombastic, noisy, like visually and like narratively noisy 2000s action film in all of the worst ways. Like there's a couple of films in the era that I think have actually aged 
a little better. But unfortunately, Die Another Day is not one of them. And Die Another Day is just like a 2000s action film in all the worst possible ways. And as an attempt to do retro pulp, unlike a ma- unlike like a masterpiece like The Shadow, it never manages to like actually feel genuine. It always feels like pastiche. Like it never has this right. like organic camp pulp quality. Like it never organically like when I think back to Dr. No and I think about Dr. No's laboratory and I think about like how it feels straight out of some kind of retro futuristic um comic book or something from the from the 60s like it feels very natural it feels very organic it like it makes sense and the film always manages to feel like pastiche rather than actually feeling like genuine pulp i don't i don't know if it's because it winks too much or if it hams it up too much or if it's so over the top like it, it's moonraker or um you only live twice levels of over the top, but it always feels more like it's mimicking those films rather than actually bringing anything of its own to the proceedings. And then like, by, and by the time the, the bad guy is hanging out in the, in a power suit, you're just sitting there going, how, how did we, how did this become a bad Robert Rodriguez movie? Like how did, how, how did <laughs> like, this, feels, this isn't James Bond. This is spy kids five. How did we get? I here? know. Right? And, and it looks shockingly cheap. That's the other thing about the film. That's alarming to me. Like for a James Bond summer blockbuster from a major studio, it feels very cheap. I don't know if it's the combination. You, you, you could see the green screen moments. You could just tell. Yeah. Like even in the opening sequence where you see Bond fighting when you mean villains on top of this um tank or whatever it is, you can tell yeah. where because there's these medium close ups now. You could tell it's 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 green screen. But the wide shots, however, those are real. You you could just tell when you when you watch that scene. Tell some, and then like even the even the actual practical sets. Like at no point when I'm looking at the ice palace, am I like, oh look, an ice palace. I'm always like, man, this ice set looks quite plastic, doesn't it? And it's, and then they're driving sports cars, and just it just becomes this parade of nonsense, and it's never in itself. It never actually finds its own stride. It always feels like a movie that's caught between two very different eras of filmmaking and throwing as much at the screen as it can to see what works and it never manages to actually hit its own stride and feel comfortable in its own skin ultimately so no die another day is bad but die another day is one of those films that's bad in ways that you you could get like a round table together and have everyone sit around and talk about all the different ways which die another day is bad although also trivia i was doing i was looking up the director of die another day and it turns out that one of his follow-up projects was Triple X Two: State of the Union. Well, that makes sense. I yep. mean, if you if you remember, oh, if you remember, if you remember the, the final action sequence of that, then I mean, oh, joy. I mean, yeah. so. <laughs> jeez. It it just always cracks me up. I always go back to this. It always cracks me up that Michael Wilson um, thought you know he was saying that this is the way that we will move forward and in a real sense i'm sitting down here and i'm now wondering if maybe like phantom menace and stuff had stuff to do with it because you have it was a world of green screen back then and everybody was doing stuff and maybe they thought well we can do this too and this is how we're going to revolutionize bond and it was just so 
sad and just like the the water didn't look real. The, nothing felt like it could be real. And you think this is going to revolutionize Bond moving forward? So I'm so glad that they ditched that idea and went to like Daniel or you know that level instead. Well, I feel like yeah. Which I'm always like, it, it's what I was saying about Bond always being like one step behind the cultural zeitgeist because like. Back in the 70s, that's how we got Moonraker, right? Like, we're moving towards sci-fi and fantasy blockbusters, and so Bond tries to get a piece of that, and so we end up with a, a Bond movie that starts out normal, and then by the end, we're having a laser battle in space and wondering how we got there. And the same thing is true with Die Another Day. Like, I could completely see a future where, if, it, if we didn't go into Daniel Craig, I could completely see a future where because because again that was the cultural zeitgeist thanks to phantom menace thanks to and then later i mean much later obviously but james cameron's avatar it's this cultural zeitgeist of blockbusters are like big and lots of special effects and out there and over the top and did and very digital and cgi heavy so like we have like so of course i could completely see a future where like i don't know james bond is showing up to like a moon colony and trying to like bust a, a bad guy who wants to move us all to Mars or something like, or, or <laughs> James Bond at the center of the earth or James Bond at the bottom of the sea. Like I could absolutely. Th those would make for some good titles. Uh, <laughs> like, like for real, for real. <laughs> center. All right. Uh, well, let's like, have that as a TV series. You know, <laughs> But no, I could, I absolutely, like, when when you say that the producer was like, we're going to go in this direction, I can completely see that. Because it's, and that's what it feels like with Die Another Day. Like, Die Another Day is the first Bond film, well, not the first, but, like, it, it's a Bond film that feels like it's trying to play catch up to where the culture is, rather than trying to have an identity as a James Bond film, really. And it's, I'm very glad that the reaction to it. I feel like a, a big reason, and this again leads into next week's discussion about Craig, but I do feel like a big reason we shifted is because the, gold, the cultural, well, is it combination of the reaction to Die Another Day being as bad as it was. But then the cultural... 9-11. 9-11. Yeah, 9-11 was a huge, uh, huge factor to the, yeah. to the change of and the both. character. Oh, and the and the way 9-11 shifted blockbuster filmmaking, period. Exactly. Like, like, we... And especially espionage. Like, the spy genre had been getting more and more over-the-top, more and more colorful, more and more, like, wild and ridiculous. Again, we started with, like, Alfred Hitchcock's Notorious, and by the time we get to the 90s and 2000s, we're making Spy Kids. So the genre has shifted, and then 9-11 happens, and the whole idea of espionage and spies becomes, like, way less, like... Like, it's way less... It, it's... It's way less sexy and more dangerous. It's less over the top and campy and more gritty and morally gray. And then, of course, Jason, the, the Jason Bourne films. And then Mission, Mission Impossible goes in a more stripped down direction as well. And then James Jason Bourne happens and then Bond has to, like, switch gears from where it had gone. And don't forget the car mechanics who are now spies themselves, eh? because that's a very important thing as well. Right. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> yeah for real all right so those were our thoughts on you know just basically the best and worst of you know the sean connery roger moore and pierce Brosnan films right of course we had to pay you know uh, special shout outs to the george lazenby and timothy Dalton films as well right 
So in the next part of this Bond special, we're just going to focus entirely on Daniel Craig. We're going to share our picks for favorites or favorite um, Bond team from that um, from that um, from that era. Um, even now, worse if, if it comes to it as well too. Um, I will make the effort to check out No Time to Die. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I will. I will make the effort to check it out. But I'll, you know, in terms of my review, I'll keep things as spoiler free as possible, so as not to ruin it for the rest of you guys here, right? And you know, I will, of course, you know, we will do the best and worst, or I should say, yeah, best and worst uh, Daniel Craig um, film, right? Including, you know, which, which will, of course will include for me um, No Time to Die, right? So yeah, guys, uh, thanks so much for coming through. CC, thanks for coming through again. Um, I appreciate the input. Uh, same thing to you, Alice, uh, Tracy, and of course, Ricardo. Thanks for yeah. thanks so much for, no for, uh, for this together. Anytime. Sure, sure, sure. Yep. Yeah. And yeah, that's pretty much about it. So once again, guys, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good night, whenever this is. This was Matthew Bailey and Ricardo Medina. Thanks yo, for coming yo, through. Yeah. Alice Oscuro, thanks for coming through. Yep, no problem. CC Lilford, thanks for coming true. You're welcome. And Tracy Lilford. Ugh. And Tracy Hutchins, thanks for coming true. I got the names wrong. I got the names wrong. See, that, that, that's why at the very beginning I said the surname first in the, the meeting, right? <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> we decided off another episode of BBB Radio. So to the next one, take care. Stay safe in and out. Peace. <laughs>